but I was inundated yesterday with calls. Uh, they, of course, had an earthquake, as you know, in Washington. Yep. And it was uh, very sharply felt up there. But fortunately, uh, not strong enough to throw people out of bed. No, indeed not. All right, Wayne, uh, let us begin at the beginning, because a lot of people don't know who you are. Never heard of Never Say Die. Probably aren't hams. Don't even know what ham radio really is, except sort of in an uh, obscure way. You know, every time there's an emergency or a hurricane, they've always got a, a ham on the screen communicating with the people that otherwise could not communicate. Other than that, a lot of people don't know a damn thing about ham radio. Well, I think maybe it's CB or something. That's right. <laughs> That's an eternal kind of sore point with me, by the way. Well, it, golly, it shouldn't be, because um, if I were getting started today in amateur radio, or in radio, I should say, uh, that's the first place I'd turn. And uh, unfortunately, there's many people that turn to things like that and then don't figure out how to go on the next step. And amateur radio is certainly a big step ahead from CB, where you can just talk over a short distance and have a lot of interference. But with amateur radio, we can talk a lot, a long distance, and have a lot of interference. A lot of uh, CBers, Wayne, a lot of CBers think it's impossible. You know, they think, I can never learn the code. There's just no way I'm ever going to get a ham license. But it's not true, is it? Well, I point to, uh, we've had kids four years old get their ham license, and I say, you know, is that really beyond you, fella? <laughs> well, We uh, have girls seven years old that have extra class license, the highest class license that we've got. So, um, You've heard about the phenomenon of the shrinking male brain, Wayne? Mm-hmm. Yes, and well. sperm count. Right? And, uh, yeah, <laughs> well, there's been some good news on sperm counts are up, uh, brain cells down. Um, anyway, look, uh, what, what do you say to somebody other than a little girl of four can do it? Why should they want to be a ham? Why, in this modern day and age, should they want to get a ham license? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, of course, it depends somewhat on your age, but uh, it does make it so that it is one heck of a lot of fun to learn about electronics and electricity, and uh, which provides one heck of a good career path these days for younger people. And for older people, it's a way to never have to ever be lonely again, because you turn on the switch no matter where you are in the world, and you've got friends right there to talk to. Yes, that's true. That really is true. I listen to a lot of people, uh, older people, talking on uh, 75 meters. You know, sometimes I'll just sit and listen. And it's obvious that these are people connecting with other people that otherwise would be home alone in front of a TV, not talking to a soul. Well, loneliness, sure. I don't know if you've ever felt it, but sometimes uh, in the past, before we had little handy talkies that we could take along, <clears throat> I go to some city that I hadn't visited before, and I'd sit there in the hotel room, and I'd say, boy, I wish I had somebody to talk to. Hmm. Well, uh, so I know what the feeling is, and it's a terrible feeling of loneliness. Uh, with amateur radio, if I have my little handy talkie along with me, and it fits in my shirt pocket, no matter what city I'm in in the world, I have people to talk to right there. Another thing people say is, I can't afford it. It's too expensive. And, and, and sure enough, Wayne, if you go look through your magazine uh, or QST at the ads and you were to go out and buy brand new equipment, it's not, it's not cheap. Well, by golly, you can get yourself a little, uh, uh, you know, a little handy talkie for two meters for around $200, brand new. 
That's not and bad. of course, if you shop for used, uh, you can outfit a whole station for a thousand dollars with awfully good equipment. Or you could buy used equipment. I'm talking used. Oh, I yeah. see. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm talking about a nice transceiver, a, a small tower, a, uh, an antenna and rotator and so forth, so that you can uh, not just talk over uh, a few hundred miles locally, but you can talk just about anywhere in the world. Well, you've done a lot of what are called de-expeditions, right? Uh, well, that's you... one of the fun things that we have. Uh, I've had a life of adventure, <clears throat> mostly as a result of my interest in amateur radio, and Getting on a ship and going to a desert island with uh, five other guys for a few days to set up ham equipment on this island and make as many thousands of contacts as you can in that short period to give everybody a card saying, I contacted that country. <laughs> That's fun. You know, I think we talked about this before, Wayne. It seems like we did, but um, I've been a ham since I was 12 or just almost 13, and... Um, it, there is a, a serious good old boys club in ham radio, and it's a, it's a kind of a networking deal. And frankly, Wayne, a lot of jobs that I've had in my life have been as a direct result of ham radio. You know, you well, run, run into somebody who interviews you, he's a ham, and you've got the job. Oh, me too, my golly. Uh, for instance, uh, I got interested in amateur radio teletype early on, mm -hmm. and uh, one of the teletype other teletype pioneers, uh, got me a job uh, with the Guggenheim Museum on a Guggenheim grant uh, building a color organ. Hmm. And if you're familiar with the Guggenheim uh, Museum in New York and that strange mushroom shape, the reason that building was designed that way was to have that color organ as the center uh, feature of the uh, museum. And that's the project I was working on. There you go. One more example. A lot of jobs. <laughs> uh, it's been ham radio has been very, very good to me, Wayne. It, it brought me into commercial broadcasting. Now, we're going to break here at the bottom of the hour. But when we come back, Wayne, uh, I'm going to ask you why people say you're crazy. Mm -hmm. All right. Right. Do you think you can handle that? <laughs> All right. Coming up uh, in a moment, why so many people think Wayne Green is out of his mind and have thought that for years. And he may come back and prove it in a moment. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from May 3rd, 1996.
listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from May 3rd, 1996. Welcome to the program, those of you who join at this hour. Anything is possible tonight, anything at all. Who knows? But then again, that's kind of the way I like it. Now we take you back to the night of May 3rd, 1996. On Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. All right, now back to Wayne Green. Wayne. Yeah. All right. A lot of people, including somebody who just faxed me, um, said you're crazy. You've done things <laughs> over the years that uh, absolutely, verif verifiably, have got to put you in the loony bin. Now, why do people say that about you, Wayne? Well, I think it's because I'm a little bit out of step uh, as far as time goes with everybody else. And I seem to be able to figure out what's going to happen in the future and kind of help the world get there a little bit. And, of course, that goes against the grain for an awful lot of people. And they say, oh, well, he's nuts. Yeah, I, uh, I when remember. When I started, uh, in, you know, when I spotted the idea of uh, repeaters, for amateurs, which we now all know comfortably as cellular telephones, hmm. uh, I said, gee, that's something that I think people are going to really get a lot of fun out of, and it has all kinds of potential for making a major industry. Mm -hmm. And I started publishing articles, one after the other, on uh, how to set up these automatic relay stations for hams. Now, repeaters are on large buildings or on top of mountains, and they simply allow you with a little handheld, you know, a small radio to communicate literally hundreds of miles in many That's cases. right. Mm -hmm. And um, so I started publishing articles on how to build those and how to use them. And the readers of my magazine responded uh, enthusiastically saying, we don't want to see any more articles on that or we'll cancel our subscription. <laughs> and uh, I wrote my editorial and I said, no, you're wrong. And I published a few hundred more articles. Why were they afraid of repeaters, Wayne? <laughs> why, why were Ham scared of repeaters? Well, it wasn't so much scared as, uh, oh, that's just baloney. And uh, they weren't used to it. And it's out of the ordinary for them. So, um, you know, had been therefore, have, I'm crazy. Yeah, if, man's, if, if hams had been meant to have computers, why, God would have built them on their backs. Right, and if uh, hams had meant to be used CW, they would have learned to whistle. That's code, folks. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and also, uh, what I very much remember, Wayne, is when uh, computers began to come on the scene, and you started doing all kinds of articles, and then you even uh, devoted a magazine to computers before computers were considered to be anything at all, and they thought you had lost your mind. Oh, of course. Well, uh, my success with repeaters, which turned into cellular telephones, uh, told me that, hey, you can move the world a little bit with your magazine. So um, uh, when the first microcomputer came on the market, which was January 1975, I immediately started publishing articles on computers in 73 magazine. And five months later, in May, I started uh, putting together the first publication devoted entirely to computers, which was Byte Magazine, right. which you'll see on the newsstands. It's one of the largest magazines in the country. And um, But I started that in May, and the first issue came out in August of 1975. And then I started my second, second magazine, Microcomputing, 
1976, and in uh, 1979, I started the first specific, ma- or first magazine specifically designed for one computer, which was the Radio Shack TRS-80, which uh, was one of the largest selling computers in the country in the early days, and still would be if they'd paid any attention to what I told them to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, they lost billions and billions of dollars by ignoring me on that and and, ag- and again uh and when, hate me for it yeah well a lot of people hated you for what you did with regard to computers again they wrote in i'm sure and said you keep this up we're canceling oh sure so yep. how many times has the subscription base of 73 been up and down and up and down oh golly it goes up and down all the time and i i just don't pay much attention to that uh, unfortunately, I have a very weak point in my character, and that is I'm not money-driven. And uh, I just don't really care uh, how much money we're making. The idea is to have enough to do things and get and make things happen. Yeah, how come you're not king of cellular? Well, I, uh, I, I help make it happen, and that's my satisfaction. Uh, I'm not the king of compact discs either, but uh, I help make that revolution happen, too by starting a, a compact disc magazine just almost as soon as the first compact disc came out, hmm. known as CD Review. And, of course, it's one of the largest music magazines in the country. Well, how come you get all these things launched and yet you don't get a piece of them? Seems like you ought to be getting a piece. Well, I, I never pay much attention to that. I get them launched and then a, a, a major publisher comes along and says, we want to buy it. And I say, okay, go ahead, you <laughs> buy it. And um, I do well. All right, let's let's see. For a man so into computers, here's a piece of email from a ham. Says, I really like old Wayne. Read his magazine because of his editorials. He's always talking about keeping up with the latest, even Fusion. We'll talk about Cold Fusion. But I don't see any email address in 73 Magazine. You ought to chide him about it. Why, why is there no email address for Wayne Green? Well, I don't need the aggravation. You can reach me through design73 at AOL.com, but uh, don't. Don't, huh? Uh, no, I got involved with Radio Teletype back in 1949 and uh, uh, helped pioneer that, uh, uh, published the first articles and then the first books on the subject, and that's what got me into publishing. And uh, I, uh, it was just like, uh, email at the time where we had you know maybe 50 amateurs all around the greater New York City and you could sit there with a teletype and talk to any of them at any time day or night mm-hmm. and uh, I kind of got that out of my system it was a been there done that thing for me uh, you're 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 not on the AWRL board of directors right no that's correct no oh. I'm considered the major enemy <laughs> <laughs> why, Which, why? You know, since I've been a member for almost 60 years <laughs> All right, the Amateur Radio Relay League is one of the, uh, I guess, is the largest ham organization. It's been sort of the traditional old-line ham representative organization forever, and you are not exactly their favorite guy. How come? Well, I keep chiding them about the things they ought to be doing uh, as the major, uh, you know, people in the field. They have a responsibility to help promote the hobby. And here we have uh, what right now is kind of a dying hobby, and I think they ought to do something about that. And I know what they ought to do, and I can explain. And I explain it to them in the editorials. Well, like, explain it, it to us. What should be done if if, if amateur radio is slipping a little bit? 
why is it slipping, and how can it be fixed? Well, uh, the reason it's slipping is because 30 years ago, our, bless, our beloved ARRL uh, put uh, forth a rule change, uh, proposed a rule change to the FCC, which virtually killed the hobby. And uh, what they proposed was that all amateurs would have to go down and get relicensed and uh, uh, and uh, take a new exam and so forth in order to hold on to their privileges. And the amateurs responded by a large percentage of them selling their equipment as quick as they could for anything they could get for it, which uh, reflected by putting almost, uh, well, put 85% of the ham radio dealers, the stores around the country, out of business within a year. It put almost 100% of the manufacturers out of business within a year. Wow. And it killed off uh, almost all of the ham radio clubs. Uh, back in the 19, uh, late 40s and all through the 1950s, we had over 5,000 school radio clubs around the country, and these were responsible for getting new hams. And, at those, and in those days, the ARL did a poll, and they found that 80% of all newcomers to amateur radio were teenagers. Indeed, 50% were either 14 or 15 years old because they were in high school. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is where the clubs were. Well, this whole infrastructure got blown away within a year by that proposed rule change. And uh, we've never rebuilt it. All right, it's actually something that was called incentive licensing. <laughs> yeah. And I was uh, overseas at, at the time, Wayne. Uh, I was KR6BK on the island of Okinawa. Oh, yeah, I visited there back in 1949. There you are. Um, so I, I had been operating, you know, I had full privileges. Gee, I could go from the bottom of the CW band on sideband all the way to the top of the American band. And uh, when I came home, uh, I found out, I had a general class license at that time, I found out suddenly almost all of my privileges has, have dried up, had dried up, and uh, incentive licensing, and I was so angry, Wayne, that I almost marched on ARRL headquarters. I couldn't believe they had done this to me while I was gone. Well, and I was here fighting it every inch of the way with uh, some of the hams supporting me and, of course, the dedicated, uh, devoted ARL members fighting me and hating me. Mm. And that's the way it went. <laughs> well, and so but you... But I did have a partial success. If you, if you take a look at it, the general class does have half of the phone bands now. Yes. The ARL proposed that they lose all of the phone bands, and I fought that and fought it and right. got it so that you only lost half. Well, um, today, uh, that's your relationship with them then. Uh, does that still affect your relationship with them today? Well, I'm a, I have a pretty good relationship. I know the people down there quite well, and we're good friends. But... Um, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that they're going to invite me in and say be on the board of directors. <laughs> yeah, I, I w wouldn't hold your breath <laughs> because for Because I'm, I'm a competitor, and uh, they are primarily a business organization. Mm -hmm. And so every advertisement that I get for 73 Magazine, they view as a loss to them. Well, I'm sure it is. So that that's right. You're a direct business competitor. Right. No question about it. How is 73 going? Is it going well? Well, we're doing quite well. Uh, we've got about 100,000 readers, and uh, 
we're we're moving along. I haven't made any major efforts to um, build the circulation or build advertising, but uh, because I've been mostly interested in doing other things like this cold fusion project and so forth. All right. Well, we're about to talk about that, but. What is 73 doing these days? Uh, in other words, uh, it's gone through various metamorphoses uh, of computers and, uh, as you pointed out, uh, repeaters. And so today, what is your magazine concentrating on? Well, we're, uh, we're trying, I'm still trying, as I did back when I started the magazine in 1960. Uh, the idea was to encourage amateurs to build things themselves. And so we're still uh, having an, uh, as many articles as I can get on how to build small uh, projects and have a lot of fun and how to build kits and so forth. So people can still do that. I thought that day was almost over. I mean, you open up modern equipment and look at it these days, and number one, you need a magnifying glass to see <laughs> the parts. Well, we don't build uh, major transceivers much anymore. Uh, no, not at all anymore. But uh, we do build an awful lot of small gadgets that uh, take maybe a, a night or a weekend to build. And it's an awful lot of fun to have a little, let's say, a little uh, low-powered transceiver that you built yourself over the weekend. Sure. And you get on the air and you make contacts all around the world with it with uh, 10 watts or 5 watts. And uh, this little tiny box that you can put in your backpack and take with you on a trip and throw a wire up into a tree mm -hmm. and be in contact. And that's a lot of fun, and there's a number of those little kits on the market, and they're very reasonably priced. All right, let's talk a little bit about propagation, Wayne. Um, uh, my AM radio stations uh, depend on propagation, and people living away from a big 50,000 water know that it, it, it goes in and out and in and out and fades and so forth. And these are conditions similar to those conditions on short wave. And all of this is affected by an 11-year sunspot cycle activity on the sun is it not oh yeah, yeah. and we, we are at a historic low point i believe aren't this, we this this is a minimum and uh, that means that some of our and what we have a number of amateur radio bands different uh, groups of frequencies that we can use and each one of those uh, amateur bands as we call them bands of frequencies uh, has different propagation characteristics in other words if i'm on the 20 meter band, which is the most popular of the shortwave amateur bands, uh, after a few days of using it, I know that at this time of the morning, I'll be able to talk to Japan, and then a little later, I'll be able to talk to South Africa, and then a little later, I'll be able to talk to South America, and so forth. And we know where those reflective layers uh, that the sun builds for us up there on the uh, up above the earth. We know about where they're going to be, and you get used to that. On the lower bands, uh, we have a an 80-meter uh, band. Uh, we know that during the daytime, we're not going to make contacts very far, but at night, uh, we can talk uh, old coast to coast without too much difficulty. You bet. As a matter of fact, I do a lot of 80-meter, uh, 75-meter work. Um, all right. Wayne, uh where is it going uh, from here? Where is ham radio going from here? I imagine by this time we would have geosynchronous satellites in orbit and all sorts of things that have not happened. Well, of course, uh, geosynchronous uh, satellites cost a lot of money, mm. and there is no source for that money for amateur radio. 
we do have a couple dozen satellites up there, amateur radio satellites uh, that we can use, but they're uh, they're not all talking with each other, making it so that we can make contacts all around the world uh, 24 hours a day. Let me do. Uh, let me ask you a very controversial question about one of those um, artificial satellites, the Mir. The Mir space station uh, now has on it a an American woman, and she is operating the Russian equipment. And it is my understanding, or there's been an allegation, that she is not a licensed ham. You know anything <laughs> about that? You heard about that, Wayne? No, I haven't, but uh, uh-huh. it doesn't surprise me because uh, several of the astronauts uh, have... You know, questionably gotten their amateur licenses. Period. Right. <laughs> in other words, uh, it's it's not who you are, but where you are. Well, it is in <laughs> in many countries. Yeah. Uh, I might say most countries. Um, well, as a matter of fact, uh, the leaders of some countries are hams. For example, I believe uh, uh, King Hussein of uh, Jordan. Yes, I don't okay. think you're going to be able to name very many others. Uh, I, by the way, I know uh, King Hussein quite well. I've operated uh, his ham station from his palace. Barry Goldwater. He's not right. a leader of a nation, but he's a right. big figure. Oh, we have some pretty good names in amateur radio. Yes, uh, Barry Goldwater. And uh, golly, he's been a good friend of mine for oh, 30, 40 years now. Barry Goldwater uh, had a very famous conversation uh, with a with, with a certain general named LeMay. Mm-hmm. You heard about that? Uh, no, I haven't, but of course I knew uh, General LeMay quite well. I have that conversation on tape. As a matter of fact, uh, Barry Goldwater, not the conversation itself, but Barry Goldwater, saying that he asked General LeMay about Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. And General LeMay cut loose with a string of invective <laughs> and said, don't you ever ask me about that again. Hmm. Now, uh... What was upsetting him? Well, it was about the supposed alien artifacts from Roswell. Oh, yes, right. And <clears throat> I just can't imagine General uh, LeMay, uh, Curtis LeMay, reacting that way if there's not something to it. Well, <clears throat> there have been several TV programs recently on the Roswell deal, mm-hmm. and they didn't leave an awful lot of wiggle room as far as uh, the question of whether... A UFO crashed or not? Well, it's interesting. Uh, listen, we're going to break here toward the top of the hour, but when I come back, well, that's I... one of the reasons I'm crazy. By the way, is that I do look into these things and read about them and uh, take them seriously. <laughs> well, <laughs> that in... makes me crazy. Right. In 1989, <laughs> two research chemists announced they had triggered a nuclear fusion reaction at room temperature, cold fusion. Now, I recall that there was a big hubbub, and I mean, it was sort of like, here it comes, the savior uh, uh, for the world, cold fusion, cheap, uh, available power, it was on all the, uh, the networks, and then it all fell apart. Uh, other um, labs tried to duplicate it, is, uh, my recollection is, and they couldn't, and we had story after story after story, uh, saying, no, it's a mistake, cold fusion does not work, and it's still being debated today. But but what, what do you say? Does cold fusion work? 
Yes, it works, and boy, does it work. And, of course, yes, there were a few labs that were unable to duplicate the results that Pond, doctors Pons and Fleischmann reported back in 1989. But uh, we've found now that some of those labs budged their figures to uh -oh, prove it uh -oh. didn't work. Hold, hold that thought, Wayne. That's a good hook. It's what we call a hook. And uh, <laughs> we'll come back and talk about that right after the news. Wayne Green of 73 Magazine is my guest. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the story that fell apart that should not have because cold fusion is real you're listening to art bell somewhere in time tonight featuring a replay of coast to coast am from may 3rd 1996 presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired May 3rd, 1996. Good morning, everybody. Good to be here. We'll fill you in uh, in the 1 o'clock hour, or about an hour from now, on some of the latest survey results that I gave the earlier audience. I've got a couple things I want to uh, tell you about right now, and then it's back to Wayne Green and Cold Fusion. And <laughs> that was for your cat. Watch your cats, folks. Now we take you back to the night of May 3rd, 1996, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. All right, back to Wayne Green now. Wayne Green is the editor-in-chief, chief guy uh, at 73 Magazine. Is that right? Are you editor? Yes, I'm editor, You're publisher, editor. janitor. And janitor, yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Cold Fusion, we were about to take off on that, and I really want to know, and a lot of the audience wants to know, because, gee, Wayne, gas prices uh, are hitting new highs. If we ever needed energy, we need it now. Does Cold Fusion really work? Yes, it sure does. As a matter of fact, I believe within a year you're going to see the first Cold Fusion-powered products on the market. And oh. I think they're going to have a small unit which will act as a heater for uh, buildings. Uh, I got a call recently from one of the readers of uh, my Cold Fusion magazine saying that he had tested out the uh, 
the idea on his kitchen table. How does that work? How, how might we duplicate that experiment? Well, you can do it with a couple of nickels in a, um, uh, a uh, sodium uh, mixture and uh, put a little voltage on it, and you'll find that after a while it begins to generate a lot more heat than you can account for. And, you know, you can put a thermometer in there. Well, let's, let's get down to specifics. You said a couple of nickels. Mm -hmm. So you would obviously attach one wire to each nickel. Right. And then you put them in uh, how much um, solution? Oh, um, uh, golly, how much? Uh, a glass. A glass, all right. Right. So you put just, a, just put it in a glass. And then and apply uh, how, how much voltage? Oh, put about 30 volts on it. 30 volts. Mm-hmm. And what period of time is required before you begin to observe the heat? Well, it takes a couple of days, and uh, then you'll notice that the, uh, liquid, the liquid begins to really heat up, and uh, far beyond the amount of energy that you're putting into it. Now, uh, it's uh, had a lot of resistance because the oil companies, the coal companies, the gas companies, and the electric companies and their distribution system are in a panic over this hmm. because here is a... Uh, a source of energy that costs about one-tenth that of uh, any of the fossil fuels and has uh, no uh, uh, bad side effects. Uh, <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't create any, uh, 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 any of the bad things that we get from nuclear energy and so forth. And How do we measure, uh, Wayne, the fact that we are getting a fusion reaction, or we're getting more energy out than we're putting in. How do we make that determination? Well, we have an inventor down in Sarasota, Florida, and your program reaches there, by the way. Yes, it does. Because the last time I was on, I got dozens and dozens of letters from Sarasota. Ah. And, um, but at any rate, we have an inventor down there, Dr. Patterson, who has a patent, and it's the first patent, I think, in the history of the United States, just granted a couple of months ago, uh, for a device which claims to put out more energy than goes into it. Mm -hmm. And he claimed 20 times in the patent application, and that was accepted. However, he demonstrated at a conference in, in uh, Los Angeles back in December. They set up his uh, uh, Patterson cell and had it operating there for all of the engineers and all of the power company people to see. And they were using 1.3 watts of drive, and they were getting 1,300 watts of heat coming Holy out of that. Mackerel. Holy And mackerel. everybody could see in uh, all of the instrumentation, it was right there in a, clean, you know, a clear plastic box. So <laughs> that's 1,000 times more power out than it took to drive it. All right, is that using this process or another? That's using this process. This process. <clears throat> now, what is happening here? Uh, after they use these cells for a little while, and then they put them on a mass spectrometer, and that means they measure what kind of elements are there after they've been using the cells compared to what elements went into it. Uh, if they have palladium and lithium uh, solution going in, it starts coming out with beryllium and boron and silver and wow. copper wow. and so forth. So what's happening is that we're having a transmutation of elements. Well, of course, everybody, uh, all the scientists know this is impossible. Uh, this is alchemy, and therefore this can't happen. <clears throat> everybody has made a mistake. 
they've uh, you know obviously made enormous mistakes somewhere, uh, except that it works. <laughs> um, uh, well, how can traditional science ignore this? In other words, if it's measurable. Well, how did they ignore uh, the Wright brothers for six years after they showed that they could fly, and they still claimed they couldn't, that it was a mistake, and so forth? And this has been the history of major breakthroughs in science uh, for centuries. Uh, if we try this at home, uh, how long will this glass continue to generate heat? For what period of time? Well, once you get it started, it keeps right on going. And um, uh, one of the problems that they've had in the, in the early days was that uh, after they turned off the power, this kept right on generating heat. But uh, they're able to control that now, and be able and they're able to start the uh, reaction on demand and uh, get it started within minutes now, instead of hours or even weeks and months as it originally took when they first started experimenting with this. How do you convert? the heat energy uh, into a usable form. Well, yeah, it might heat a room. It might heat a room, all right? But how do you convert it? Could you, for example, reconvert it in some method uh, to equal or, or be greater than the voltage you're using to activate it? Oh, yes. Well, now, how are you getting your electricity that's coming out of your wall? You're getting it by burning coal. I think 70% of the uh, uh, electricity that we use is get is made from burning coal Correct. and then turning the heat into electricity. Correct. So in other words... So this is just another source of heat. So in other words, uh, you could get this reaction going on a large scale and mm -hmm. produce large amounts of electricity from that heat. Right. Or you could do it in something about the size of a bread box to uh, generate electricity for your home. The size of a bread box, Wayne? Right. What? This, this cell that was generating 1,300 watts uh, was about a half inch in diameter. <laughs> Holy mackerel. And you saw this? Yes, indeed. Hmm. That is incredible. Um... So, yes, this is coming along. Uh, I'm publishing a magazine on the subject called Cold Fusion. And uh, most of my contributors are from Japan because that's where the major funding is in this. Uh, the, the United States' is, uh, government has done everything it can to stop any, uh, any development in the United States of this. Why? Why? I mean, we have air what runs our government? We have air pollution problems? What runs our government? Money. Right. There is no money uh, coming from anybody that wants cold fusion, and there's plenty of money coming from people that want to stop it. It's like anything else. How do There's we, no uh, constituency uh, uh, for progress. How do we poke a hole in that? I mean, the well, my, my suggestion is very simple, and it's NRA, and that doesn't stand for National Rifle Association. That stands for never reelect anyone, <laughs> and flush <laughs> that <laughs> stuff out of Congress down there, and just keep turning them over, so that they can't be bribed by the lobbyists. Uh, to stop progress. Uh, what about getting a, a... Go to the heart of it, Art. What about getting a larger scale demonstration uh, at, at some point or in some place, something that they cannot ignore? Well, that takes money. <clears throat> now, uh, up until fairly recently, the Navy was investing in some uh, research on this and making very good progress. 
the pressure from Congress has stopped this, and the Navy has now cut off their funds for research. That was the only branch of the uh, government that was doing any research. The Department of Energy has made sure that no university in the country will do any research on this. And uh, because if they do any research on cold fusion, they will not get money for any other project, whatever. And, of course, uh, almost every university in the country that does any research is getting money from the government. Uh, I like the part where people can prove this to themselves. So, once again, you get a, a large glass, right? Mm-hmm. And you fill it with... You, you fill it with the uh, sodium and... Uh, in, in what form? Sodium... Uh, sodium carbonate. Okay. And water. Okay. And put a couple of nickels in it. Okay, I want to know, how much sodium should be in the water, mixed with the water? Well, it doesn't make a lot of difference. Really? Uh, just, just uh, you know, you, you put in some sodium, just a couple tablespoons okay. <laughs> of uh, sodium carbonate. And how do we solder wires to the nickels? Uh, you just use a couple of clips, uh, clip leads. Clip on onto a nickel. And clip onto a nickel, hang it in there, uh, just with a nickel in the liquid, not with the metal of the clip. Right. Oh, or wait a minute, solder, wait a minute. You can solder onto nickels uh, as far as that's concerned. Okay, so uh, solder onto a couple of nickels, defacing our government's currency. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and you apply. I, I can hear the stormtroopers coming here with their SWAT team tomorrow. Yeah, that's right. Um, all right, and um, you apply about how much voltage? Oh, about 30 volts ought to do it. Uh, at any particular amount of current, what will it well, draw? Well, that... That will take care of itself. Yeah, well, about what would it draw under these circumstances? I don't know. Okay. Uh, so whatever it draws, nothing sure. Nothing gigantic. Nope. And, nope. and, and you have a thermometer in there. Right. And uh, then another thermometer outside so you can measure the difference in temperature. Right. And you'll see that these stay fairly constant for a while. And then all of a sudden the temperature in the liquid will start going up. And what happens is that the... Uh, hydrogen in your water that is uh, has the sodium in it uh, will go into the nickel in your in your uh, five cent piece. Right. And by the time it gets up to where there's about eighty five percent of the uh, nickel is uh, has absorbed hydrogen, and your nickel acts like a sponge as far as that's concerned. And when you get about eighty five percent in there, all of a sudden this reaction starts taking place. Wow. Um, and it'll just matter go matter of fact, one of my readers uh, has suggested that you use nickel or palladium as a filter in order to uh, uh, build up hydrogen for use as a hydrogen fuel. Uh, what about these uh, trace radioactive? You mentioned beryllium. Uh, no, not radioactive. Not radioactive. No. Beryllium, boron, silver, copper. So there's no danger. Even antimony. Antimony. No danger. No danger. No, there's no radioactivity involved at all. Will it reach then a constant temperature and maintain that temperature, or what is the reaction like as you watch it uh, over yes, a period? Yes, it does. <clears throat> it reaches a new constant temperature. Oh, uh, what can you expect? How hot will it get? Well, that depends on how much you. Uh, remove the heat. Uh, normally what you do is you, as it gets hot, you keep circulating the liquid into uh, a heat exchanger to use that heat. Right. Otherwise, it'll just keep getting hot and pretty soon blow up. Uh, excuse me, blow up? <laughs> right. Well, it'll melt 
uh, it, it'll evaporate your liquid, and uh, we've had a couple of them blow up if you don't keep uh, cooling the liquid. Thanks for the warning. <laughs> so, in other words, you've got to use that energy, or it builds and boom. Sure. Boy. Well, that would be true in anything, isn't it? Uh, yes. Yes, it would be. You know, it's the just... steam boiler, if you don't take the steam out, I, I've uh, I, I've done what I should not do many times, Wayne, and I have charged batteries that say do not charge. Oh yeah. Uh, I've had several of those blow up on me. Yeah. Very uh, unhappy. Right. Uh, um. Anyway, uh, this is fascinating, and so this is real. It works. Uh, the people can go see for themselves, try it for themselves, and I well, guess we need to do something about it. One of the major funders, <coughs> excuse me, in this field is Toyota. And indeed, doctors Pons and Fleischmann uh, were so humiliated by the media response to the few laboratories that said, oh, this is baloney. And, of course, the, the, the uh, newspapers love anything negative like that mm -hmm. and played it up big. Well, Toyota came along to Pons and Fleischmann and said, look, we'll build you the laboratory of your dreams anywhere in the world. Where would you like it? And they are now in a $25 million laboratory over in the French Riviera. Thank you. <laughs> well, they've got good taste. <laughs> um, now, how are they doing? I mean, are we getting any reports, or is it all now propri proprietary uh, information? We were getting reports up until just a little over a year ago, and then all of a sudden the lid went on, and uh, there's been no more uh, reports coming out. So I expect that we will be seeing a Toyota car within a year or two, maybe three, uh, that is powered by a, a power source that just will keep on going. Indeed, the last time that we saw anything from them, Dr. Fleischman was on British television mm -hmm. uh, in an interview, and he held up a bottle about the size of a thermos bottle, and they said, well, Dr. Fleischman, uh, you know, how much power can you get out of that little thing? And he says, oh, about 10,000 watts. What? Well, that's enough to run a car. And uh, they said, well, yes, but how often do you have to replenish the fuel in there? He says, oh, about every 10 to the 5th years, <laughs> every 100,000 <laughs> years. Uh, it's just so disappointing, Wayne, that it's going to be a Toyota or whatever and not a Chevy or a Ford. Well, try to get them interested. Good luck. <sighs> what has happened to us as a nation? Well, our, our car companies have never been ahead. Uh, just remember that it took the Japanese to force our car companies to make small cars. I know. I remember. And it looks like small cars are going to be back in vogue if these gas prices keep up. It also looks like whoever would come out with something like you're saying Toyota may uh, is going to own the market. Well, that is going to stop the sale of uh, gas-driven cars fairly quickly, I believe. Mm -hmm. You know, look how much money you can save, and of course, pollution and so forth. What would the um, what would the byproducts be? Water. Uh, water. Yep. Water. Clean water. Yep. Water. <laughs> no um, carbon dioxide. Uh, nope. No carbon dioxide. Huh. Well, you do have some hydrogen and oxygen coming off that have not recombined back to make water again. Mm-hmm. I'm saddened by this, Wayne. I mean, if this is true, then it means that the big money interests, the oil companies, the car companies, they just they won't embrace it. They won't change. They're going to have to die before they can be reborn. Well, uh, I think we've seen that with the car companies right along.
Oh, really sad. Uh, so are you, in your magazines, uh, following this and telling everybody about it? Oh, yes. Uh, well, I'm keeping my readers of 73 magazine up with this and my editorials. But in Cold Fusion magazine, I'm publishing the theory behind why this works. And, of course, that makes it so that the researchers have some clues to go on rather than just experimenting empirically and, you know, testing this, that, and the other thing to see which works best. So uh, we're moving along very well with that. All right, look, uh, in Congress, in the Senate, even though you said throw them all out, there are some good people. I, I'm determined there are some good people. Surely there's somebody that you or somebody else can go to and get their attention and, uh, you know, bring this in front of the public. Well, I have written to uh, many of them. I've never gotten a response. Never a response? Never a response. Not even a thank you for your letter. We're forwarding this to the Department of Energy or something? <laughs> no. <clears throat> well, I'm crazy, you know. Yeah. Well, that is that is a problem, isn't it? In other words, uh, Wayne Green. Oh, Wayne Green. Hmm, I've heard this name. Oh, yes. Uh, just put that letter over there. I'm sure that's what you get. All right. When we come back here from the bottom of the hour, there is something else I want to touch on, just as incredible. It has to do with this electronic... Uh, cure for AIDS, is that right? You bet. All right. That when we come back. This is the CBC, the American CBC Radio Network, because we're widely heard through Canada. And we are going to shortly get the phone lines open for Wayne Crazy Man Green. But there's a lot of people throughout history who have done wonderful things that they called crazy. We'll be right back. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from May 3rd, 1996. Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from May 3rd, 1996. My guest is Wayne Green. He'll be right back having a chat tonight on America Online, the Periscope area of America Online. You'll find a little chat room in there entitled The Grassy Knoll. I'm in there right now. Listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from May 3rd, 1996.
right, it's back to Wild Man Wayne Green now. And Wayne, before we leave the subject and move on to uh, medicinal things, um, this a couple of faxes for you, Wayne. Could you please ask Wayne how far to separate the nickel pieces in the solution? I'd like to duplicate the experiment to prove it for myself. That's Jim, a ham. It uh, doesn't make any difference. No difference. Not, no, we're in a glass. Whether we're one or two inches apart doesn't make much difference. Okay. Um, Art, please ask Wayne if he knows what the maximum operating temperature of the Patterson cell is. A Patterson cell hooked to a Tesla turbine will provide about 80 kilowatts, provided the cell can operate at a steam-producing temperature, and it would fit in the shack you store your gardening tools and lawnmower in. Yes, uh, you can operate these at uh, almost any temperature, uh, depending upon the electrolytes you use. Uh, over in Italy, they've been doing it at uh, five and 600 degrees, uh, and uh, over here, uh, they're doing it at around the boiling point, so uh, around 200. Well, so uh, it doesn't make a lot of difference. You can operate it whatever is most convenient for you. Okay, Wayne. Uh, here's kind of a wrap. Uh, thanks. Oh, by the way, uh, all right. Yes. This is, you know, this is a brand new field. It is mostly empirical. That means that people just test this, that, and the other thing. Mm -hmm. So there's a ground floor opportunity for uh, inventors or tinkerers to get in there and be the next Bill Gates, the next Steve Jobs uh, in this field, because there's almost nothing going on in the United States in this field other than Dr. Patterson. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's just an enormous opportunity. It doesn't take long to learn the fundamentals of this. Uh, indeed, uh, I have a little booklet out that I mentioned last time on books you're crazy if you haven't read. And uh, several of these give you the fundamentals that uh, go into uh, uh, cold fusion. <coughs> uh, for instance, there's uh, one by Louis Curvran about uh, transmutation, biological transmutation. Another one by Michio Kushi. Uh, on the Philosopher's Stone that has to do with transmutation. And once you read these, you're pretty well uh, in on the ground floor of uh, how to go ahead and start developing your own uh, uh, experiments. All right, Wayne, here comes a, here comes a bit of a wrap. Um, Art, thanks to Wayne Green's pushing computers over the years, a great number of young people who might have taken up ham radio as a hobby instead took up computers. The result is ham radio is becoming an old man's hobby. Signed, Charlie, also a ham, ARRL life member. So there, there you are. Answer, mm -hmm. answer that one. Well, <laughs> we've always had a lot of other uh, attractions. And uh, if you promote something, you sell it. And uh, the ARL has done virtually nothing in recent years to promote amateur radio in the uh, general media. Uh, back in the old days, when amateur radio was growing at 11% per year, uh, the ARL was doing promotion. When somebody new got a license, they sent out new, uh, notices to the local newspapers. When somebody would get a, an award, they would send out notices to the newspapers. So there was a constant mentioning of amateur radio <clears throat> in newspapers and, and uh, so forth. But all right. um, that all stopped. All right. Uh, let's move on a little bit. Last time you were on, you talked to us about... I don't know if it's a cure for AIDS. I guess you have to be careful what you say here. But it it, it well, it's certainly reported as that, and was reported as that by the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, who discovered this process. And um, uh, the uh, the first publications of this uh, went into that. They now have a patent on it, 
and uh, 14 other hospitals have patents on it. But it's still being kept under wraps. It has not been in any of the medical journals, so the doctors know nothing about it. All right, let's review what we're talking about. AIDS is a virus. Well, the, maybe. The, well, maybe, yeah, maybe. Right. All right, so um, I, I do think they've isolated it, and they found they say it's a virus. As far right. as I know, we have never cured a virus. Um, and when people get AIDS, their uh, T-cell count begins to drop. The traditional reaction is to give them AZT. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, there's even been talk in Congress of mandating AZT for a mother who would be pregnant who tests positive. Well, thank you. Welcome. That's the company that markets AZT. Uh, one of the books you need to read that's on my list of books you're crazy if you don't read uh, has, is called Dirty Medicine. And a lot of that is the history of the Welcome Company and their promotion of AZT, which uh, has never shown any sign of helping people with AIDS. All right, indeed, I'll tell you. I, I it often makes it worse. Yeah, I, to the book. I interviewed you, you know Doctor Dusing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and his, I just got his new book. All right, Doctor Dusing does not think that uh, AIDS is a virus. Right. Uh, he believes that uh, there are many things that will cause it: uh, toxins, um, uh, recreational drug use, uh, particularly a lot of other things. But the immune suppression is not, he says, from a virus, and you can't show me there's enough of that virus, if in fact it is a virus, to ever cause anything. So that's what he believes, and he says that when you give somebody AZT, and I'm not an expert on this, but that the immune system spikes. In other words, it does come up, T-cell count goes up, um, because you are in effect challenging the immune system, uh, if not on the way to destroying it with AZT. So quickly it goes up, then quickly it takes a big dive. Okay, let me talk a little bit about this whole thing. All right. Uh, I heard a couple of years ago uh, that a fellow named Bob Beck had come up with a solution to the uh, AIDS problem, and I had known him uh, a little bit for several years, so I got in touch with him, and he faxed me a bunch of information, including a copy from Science News of the information that the Albert Einstein College of Medicine had uh, discovered and announced that they had a cure for AIDS. And what they did was pass a small, a very small electric current through the blood, and they claimed that this then prevented the, white, uh, the uh, virus, HIV virus, from hooking on to the white cells and that the virus would then die. So uh, they have gone ahead since then and patented that process where they take the blood out of the arm, uh, pass it through the electric current through it, and then put it back in the arm again. And, of course, this is a way that uh, can take six months or so to do that and cost twenty to $50,000 in the process. Mm -hmm. uh, it has a drawback in that the uh, virus, whatever it is, seems to live in the lymph glands and stay there, kind of hold up in the lymph glands, and then come out after a period of years. So uh, what Bob Beck did was said, well, now, golly, uh, if you want to pass electric current through the blood, you don't have to take it out to do that. You can just put a couple of electrodes uh, on your arteries, and you don't want to pass electric current through the heart, so let's do it on the arteries down at the ankles, and uh, 
put a small voltage on there. It takes <clears throat> actually about 25 volts. And this will pass the 50 microamperes of current through the blood that you want and uh, should clear it up. <clears throat> and indeed, according to the uh, Albert Einstein Hospital, it clears up not only any virus but any bacteria, fungus, parasites, or anything else that are living in the blood. That's remarkable. So... Uh, uh, Beck promoted this, and I said, gee, this sounds like a good idea. So I made copies of his material available along with a very simple electric uh, circuit to provide the 25 volts and to flip it back and forth a few times a second so that you don't build up any resistance to it. So it's changing polarities constantly. You change polarity back yeah. and forth, yeah. And um, I put this in a booklet and sent out several thousand of these and kind of waited to hear from anybody that was having success. And I didn't hear very much. Uh, I did get a call from a fellow over in France thanking me profusely for saving, saving his son's life. But other than that, I didn't hear much. And uh, so I said, gee, you know, does this really work or not? Because uh, I, I'm a, a reporter, uh, not a religious zealot on these things. Mm -hmm. And um, then in January, Bob Beck gave a talk down at the Global Sciences Conference in uh, Tampa, and I was on the program, too, talking about cold fusion and anything else that was in my mind, rattling around. And uh, Bob Beck had, the, uh, uh, had his unit there and had a whole sheath of laboratory reports of people who were in dire, you know, dying of AIDS, and then a few weeks later, uh, their T-cells were back up and they were pronounced cured. So uh, that kind of convinced me that, well, maybe this is working. <clears throat> and so I have rewritten the um, uh, my booklet and brought it up to date. And in the latest issue of 73, the May issue, I have a circuit diagram and the parts list and everything for a very simple, what is called a bioelectrifier, mm -hmm. uh, which will generate the voltage necessary for this and um, do it all electronically uh, Beck's unit used a little relay to flip back and forth to change the voltage, and we do it with a couple of transistors instead, or ICs. So um, at any rate, I have upgraded the AIDS booklet, as I call it, but of course it works for uh, syphilis, gonorrhea, uh, Epstein-Barr, herpes, or just about any other rotten thing that's floating around in the blood. Uh, Beck came up with one other... Uh, does it have any? Does it have any side effects? Negative side effects? Uh, none have been reported from anybody. Uh, presumably, if you were dumb enough to uh, pass the current from from one arm to the other, yeah, uh, it would go through the heart. Sure. And if you have a pacemaker, it would uh, it might stop your heart, and that would might be considered negative. So, uh, uh, what they're doing now is taking the two arteries that are on either the left or the right wrist. And if you uh, feel there, you'll feel just on either side, you can feel these two arteries. Sure. And they put a little uh, uh, wire with a flannel wrapped around it, tied with silk thread, and soak that in salt water, and uh, use a little strap, uh, one of these elastic straps with Velcro to hold it in place, to hold those electrodes over the, uh, over the arteries. <clears throat> and as you turn up the voltage, you can feel it go bump, 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 bump. <laughs> wow. And uh, uh, what I, I've been using it, and uh, what I do is I take an afternoon nap every day for about an hour, and I put this on there and just go to sleep and let it uh, thump away for an hour while I'm sleeping. How does it do what it does? 
Well, uh, what it does is pass this uh, minute electric current through the blood, and as I say, that prevents any of these bad beasties in there from hooking on to the white cells, and they die. <laughs> so, um, but then the problem is to get them anything that's uh, in the lymph glands out into the bloodstream. Yes. And this was the unique thing that uh, Bob Beck came up with, and that is he wound a coil of wire, about 150 turns, on a, uh, a one-inch spool, <clears throat> and you can take an old spool from a, a VCR uh, tape and uh, put a couple boards on it to uh, hold the wire, wind the coil, and put that in series with the uh, light and a flash gun. And this gives you a very short, very high-voltage uh, zap, and that coil then generates a about a 20,000 gauss field for a moment, and you put that up near the lymph glands. But first, you uh, you work for two or three weeks uh, clearing the blood of anything that's in it. And this is the report. So I'm, I'm the reporter here, not a doctor. <laughs> and uh, then once you've done that, you want to get this out of the lymph glands, and you put this coil up there uh, by the lymph glands and shoot it a few times. And you can feel uh, the difference because it makes you a little bit sluggish uh, as these uh, things come out of the lymph glands into the blood, and then your purifier or bioelectrifier, whatever you want to call it, takes care of it. Uh, takes care of it, and then you use that on a few more lymph glands, and you can look in uh, Gray's Anatomy, which is uh, in any library and is available for about uh, ten or eleven bucks from uh, bookstores <clears throat> to find out where all the lymph glands are. So, uh, but uh, Beck reported. <clears throat> Another side effect, excuse me, side effect to this um, uh, generator of uh, the electric field, he used it on his head, and uh, when he gave his talk at Tampa back in January, he had a full head of hair after having male pattern baldness for several years. Really? And that <laughs> so hair. it even grows hair. <laughs> right. And, when, uh, um, Wayne, why, uh, when is also, the... Uh, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait, all right, we'll get to that. When is the FDA and the BATF and lots of armed people going to break in and take Wayne Green away? Well, uh, as soon as I claim anything for the machine and start selling them. <laughs> so you're not selling them? No, I'm not selling them, no. And you're, all I am is a, uh, a reporter. So you're just... Uh, uh, you've got the materials, you provide schematics, that kind of thing, free of that's, charge, I guess. So. That's right. Well, there you have to buy the magazine. And, oh, my AIDS booklet was free of charge, but I'm charging $10 now. <clears throat> and uh, the reason for that is to have some money to help pay for these uh, laboratory tests to uh, prove these things work. And we want to build up a little fund for laboratory uh, research on that. So you've got something of a track record now of people that have tried it uh, who are dying of AIDS and have cleared of AIDS? That's right, hundreds of them. God, that's incredible, Wayne. Um, and herpes, and Epstein-Barr, yeah. and so forth. Yeah. It's yes, not, it seems to work. <laughs> it's, it's not Quack City, it really works, huh? That's right. Well, you know, we have a, a terrible time in our, our whole health business. Uh, quite a number of the books on my list of books that you're crazy if you haven't read uh, have to do with health because um, uh, our medical industry uh, is covering up an awful lot of easy, simple, inexpensive cures for things. And, of course, uh, 
it's a cloudy thing because there's an awful lot of quacks, crooks, and so forth in there also. And we don't have any way to really figure one from the other other than to do a lot of research and uh, find out. And that's why uh, when I do find a book that is good and excellent and uh, makes sense and has a reasonably good uh, uh, backup, I put it on my list of books that you really ought to read. Okay. I've, al I've also heard, Wayne, uh, people have been talking about collodial silver. Right. Uh, what do we know about that? Well, we know that that was what was used to cure an awful lot of illnesses up until the antibiotics came along. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they just dropped it for the new, the new fad. And it seems to have an awful lot of uh, value. There's a book out on... Uh, on colloids, on uh, the silver colloids that uh, people should be uh, looking at, and that'll be on my list of books. But um, one of the things that uh, the commercial version of the Bob Beck device, and there's an outfit out in Colorado that is supplying these. Oh, really? Yep. Uh, the, the unit, if you want to build it yourself out of the article in my magazine, probably cost you thirty forty dollars to build mm -hmm. from parts right. uh, he's selling the unit for two hundred dollars mm -hmm. for people that uh, don't know which end of the soldering iron is hot <clears throat> uh, actually any kid of eight that knows how to solder should be able to put this together but there's a lot of people that are terrified by electronics and he's got them going for two hundred dollars but these are not to be used on humans uh, they are plant growth stimulators <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's that, and another that, jack in there. And that's why he's got to sell them, right? Right. And mm -hmm. there's another jack in there that uh, comes out with a couple of silver wires that you put into distilled water with a little bit of salt in it to make your own silver colloids. And you want to learn about that because that is almost a magical uh, solution that you can make yourself in a few minutes uh, just with a couple of batteries and two silver wires. This is so amazing. You want to learn more about I'll be writing more about that as I... Um, uh, <laughs> as I report on these things, what kind of reaction do you get to this kind of thing? Uh, both the um, uh, the cold fusion and this. Uh, do you make people angry with this stuff, Wayne? Uh, not really, because uh, see, I've been writing my editorials in seventy three magazine for thirty six years now, and the readers of the magazine know that I haven't been wrong yet. So when I come along with something new, I don't re meet anywhere near the amount of resistance that I used to. Uh, I haven't been wrong yet. What is your, over all the years, Wayne, what is your biggest failure? Biggest failure? Yes. Oh, I guess it's... Uh, something that fell flat on its face. Good Lord, I don't know of anything. Oh, there's got to be something, Wayne. <laughs> Some little thing that you were going to do that didn't work. Oh, well, shoot, uh, I guess my biggest failure as far as that's concerned is trusting people. Mm. And that's cost me a hundred million dollars. Um, that makes, unfortunately, an awful lot of sense. All right, Wayne, what we're going to do is this, come back and take phone calls from the good people out there. Are you up for that? Oh, sure. All right. Well, I'm... there's so much more to talk about. I know. Well, we'll, we'll get we'll, we'll get to it. Because uh, I keep reading books, and I say, "Gee, people not, people should know about this book." My gosh. All right. Well, we'll talk about those things and get calls coming up uh, after the break. Good morning, everybody. Rolling along with Wayne Green, editor uh, of Seventy Three Magazine, Ham Radio Magazine, and so much more. You're listening to Art Bell. Somewhere in time.
Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from May 3rd, 1996. Somewhere in time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from May 3rd, 1996. My guest is Wayne Green, editor-in-chief of 73 Magazine, Taham Magazine. And uh, we're very, very glad to have him here this morning. Talks about all kinds of wild stuff. But stuff that actually works. That's the thing. Listen, uh, once again, I want to thank everybody in the audience for making this program so number one in so many places. More surveys coming in, folks. Number one at WHAM in Rochester, New York. Number one at KOMO, KVI, Seattle. Number one in Portland, Oregon at KEX. Number one in Detroit, Michigan. Number one in Los Angeles. That's right. This program has now, uh, in this time slot, displaced uh, the ever number one KFI in Los Angeles and KABC. KABC is number one. So uh, I'm going to be popping the cork on some champagne this weekend and celebrating. It's all very good news. Thank you all. take you back to the night of May 3rd, 1996, on Art Bell's Somewhere in Time. All right. Back now to Wayne Green. Uh, Wayne, a few facts questions uh, to dispose of quickly, if we can. Um... Art and Wayne, how about Ebola? Isn't that a virus from Tamara in Los Angeles? Yes, it is. <clears throat> and um, Bob Beck uh, feels that if they would go over there with this unit, that that would be able to be cleaned up very quickly. Hmm. All right. Could you ask Mr. Green if you could put a tank of cold fusion inside a hot water tank to heat water fairly quickly? Yes, uh, one of my cold fusion readers called and said that he had, as I mentioned, had tested the cold fusion process on his kitchen table, and it worked so well that he built a unit and he's now heating his greenhouse with it, and he's up in Manitoba, Canada. Wow. Uh, that's impressive. So I, I believe we're going to see, and I've talked to uh, representatives of Dr. Patterson, 
and I believe that there will be a commercial unit on the market within a year <coughs> which uh, will generate heat for a greenhouse or a small home. All right. Um, hi, Art Wayne. Many years ago, I sat in Wayne's Brooklyn, New York office and talked about special calls. He said if Vanity Calls ever came to be, this is ham radio, folks, he would change from W2NSD to simply W. Well, right. well, the FCC has now announced the opening of the Vanity Call Sign program May 31st. Wayne, will you now file for W? Uh, unfortunately, that is not one of the calls that they will permit, so <laughs> heck with them. <laughs> so you're going to stick with W2NSD? Well, I've had it now for almost 60 years, so yeah, I guess so. 60 years, wow. Do you know I was once W2CKS, Wayne? I'll be darned. Well, I know you're now W6OBB. That's right. Right. <laughs> all right, look, I, I have um, I've taken you all over the map here, Wayne. I want to give you a chance to light up uh, um, any topic you would like. I know there are some things close to your heart. So, uh, Well, indeed. Um, as I say, one of the things that I do is read an awful lot of books, trying to find those that I think that are really important. And, uh, for instance, uh, one of my readers sent in a book that he had written, and uh, self-published, and I found it so fascinating that I called him up and said, gee, what else have you written? And mm -hmm. he sent me a second book that he had written called The Last Skeptic of Science. And it's a fascinating book. And in there he claims, for instance, that there have never been any ice ages, and he explains why, and he makes an awfully good case and convinced me. He points out that the moon does not make the tides, and he points out what does and how you prove that the moon doesn't make tides. And again, it makes awfully good sense. He points out that volcanoes are not uh, fed by... Uh, wait wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's back up. The moon doesn't make tides. What does? Um, the, the sun. The sun. Right. And he proves this by pointing out that the, uh, you have a number of places around the world where there are no tides. You have some places where there's one tide a day, and so forth. Um, <clears throat> he proves about transmutation because he set up a little experiment, which he describes in his book, where anybody could set up with some carbon uh, uh, and a, uh, some carbon rods and a, um, a generator for uh, arc welder and some calcium carbide and make their own volcano and it'll keep right on going once you turn the voltage off, and you have a heck of a job stopping it. <laughs> and then when he got through, uh, they tested what was in the uh, ashes that were left over, mm -hmm. and nothing uh, that they put in to start with had a, uh, a, a weight of over 20, uh, you know, an atomic weight of over 20. Right. When they got through, they had elements all the way up to 83. Wow. And uh, so, you know, so much for this uh, uh, transmutation being impossible. So what's what, so anyway, what, what's happening there? Is that a, a fusion reaction of some kind? Yes, of course it is. Uh, he uh, discusses uh, that the Earth changes on its axis. Now, you've had uh, Graham Hancock on your program, I believe. Yes, I have. And uh, I found his, bo his book is on my list, uh, Footprints of the Gods, as one of the books that you're just crazy if you don't read. Fingerprints. Uh, fingerprints, is it? Oh, yeah, right. Fingerprints of the Gods, right. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, 
Uh, oh, you in one of your commercials you mentioned asthma and hay fever. My wife uh, is playing. Well, with I asthma. have it too. And uh, when I read the book by uh, about immunization, I said, "Oh my gosh, that's what happened to me! I had no allergies and no uh, asthma and so forth until I got my immunization shots, and then all of a sudden I had uh, sinus trouble, ear trouble, uh, and asthma uh, for the rest of my life." And this fellow in the book Immunization points out how that these uh, immunization shots are doing this to millions and millions and millions of people. Let me tell you, though, there's a problem, Wayne. I, I'm a world traveler, and so are you. You've mm -hmm. been all over the world. Uh, I'm going to Russia, Scandinavia uh, in August, all over the place. Mm -hmm. And they won't let you go unless you get the shots, Wayne. You've got to have the shots. I, I know that. Uh, I solved that by making my own... Uh, <laughs> Shot records, <laughs> right? Oh, Wayne. And I, I used a checker uh, as the uh, <laughs> with a rubber stamp and so forth, oh, where, where I needed it. Yes. Oh, Wayne. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I've had most of the shots, and um, but uh, now I know that uh, I, I should have had religious reasons for not having them. Uh, do, does that work? Oh, yeah. It does. In other words, yep. you, you can go to the passport people and the customs people, and you can say, look, it's against my religion. Sorry. Exactly. No kidding. Well, we have uh, semi-freedom of religion in this country. By <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's a uh, that was one book that was fascinating, and he just goes into all kinds of things that we've always believed and scientists always believe and says, oh, baloney. Uh, don't believe everything that they tell you. And uh, his other book was called NASA Mooned America. Mm -hmm. And in there, he claims that NASA never went to the moon. Really? That the whole thing was hooked up just like that movie, Capricorn One. Yeah. <clears throat> and unfortunately, you know, I went in and I said, oh, baloney, what a bunch of you know, crap this well, is. Well, now, I, look, I interviewed Edgar Mitchell, Apollo 14 astronaut, the other day. He, right. He'd be very, very upset about this. Right. Well, so, I would think he would be. So we never went to the moon. That's what this fellow claims. And as I say, I went, I opened the book saying, oh, you know, what a bunch of baloney this is going to be. He convinced me. Uh, and I am not easy to convince. Uh, well, either am I, so let me hear it. Uh, how, what What is it in that book that convinced you? Well, uh, several things. Uh, he had about 30 uh, gotchas, as he calls them. All right, let's and, hear it. Uh, for instance, you take the footprints on the moon. We've all seen the pictures with the footprints on the moon yes. and the uh, tire tracks of the uh, yes. uh, of the little buggy and so forth. The right? lunar lunar lander, yes. Right, yeah. Well, now, it's dry and hot dry there. Uh, if you've ever walked in dry sand, you know that you don't leave a footprint. You just leave a little dent. Well, yeah. Right. Uh, it takes moisture to hold grains of sand or grains of dust together. Otherwise, they don't hold together without moisture. So if you walk in moist sand, sure, you leave a footprint or moist dirt. Mm -hmm. But if you dry, walk in very dry dust or very dry sand, you don't leave any footprints. And these footprints are very clear there. No, wait a minute. Now, I'm not sure that's true. If you walk on the beach right. in dry sand or out right. my in desert very dry in dry sand, sand uh, you still leave a depression. You leave a depression, but you don't leave footprints. Not a, and these yeah. pictures show clear footprints. Now, they showed pictures of the limb. Uh, when it landed, they were using the retro rockets, and yet when you look at the uh, pictures, there's no hole under them. There's no, there's dirt and, and uh, so forth all under them, uh, showing that there's never been any, uh, Disturbance. any rockets. Huh. 
<clears throat> there's a photograph showing uh, Armstrong and uh, Aldrin saluting the flag. Yes. And according to the uh, information with the picture, it was taken the day after they arrived. and Or, you know, so many hours after they arrived. Well, if you calculate where the sun should have been at that time, it should have been at about 12.2 degrees above the horizon. Mm -hmm. uh, if you measure the shadow for Aldrin, you find that the sun at that time had to be 26.4 26 uh, degrees above the horizon. <laughs> if you measure the, sh the shadow for Armstrong, the sun had to be at 36.9 degrees above the horizon, and the two shadows cross. Hmm. Boy, isn't that weird? Yes. And uh, But then there's a matter of solar flares. Yes. And the amount of uh, radiation that you get. Yes. <clears throat> now, the scientific... Uh, information that's available says that it would take about six feet of lead to protect one from those uh, solar flares once you get outside the Van Allen belt. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have anything like that. That lens was flimsy. So they should be dead? They should be dead. <clears throat> Long dead. So then wh where but does... He goes through this one after the other. I've got you. Where does he theorize then that all the pictures came from? Some well, studio, like in Capricorn 1? Uh, right uh, down in uh, in uh, probably in Nevada or New Mexico or Nevada probably uh, the uh, moon rocks are exactly like what you find in Antarctica huh. and so, so forth. Well, well, they, what, what about the Russians? Just goes through one after the other. What about the Russians? They went to the moon. Did they fail? No, they didn't go to the moon. No, maybe they. No, nope, maybe they didn't. they didn't. Maybe they no. didn't. No, as a matter of fact, the Russians said we can't do it because of the radiation. God, I guess that's right. Why did I think the Russians? Well, they sent probes around. They and, sent and, probes. And, sure, that's right. Oh, that's right. Right. Well, anyway, as I say, it's a fascinating book, and it convinced me. <laughs> and I'm not an easy uh, easy sale on that. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. I would love to read it myself. Well, I have made an arrangement with a fellow, and. Um, for 28 bucks, uh, postage paid, uh, I can send them. I can, uh, this I fellow naturally read. wants to remain uh, kind of obscure. Yes. Because uh, I think there'd be a lot of people who'd like to see him dead. Well, there's great controversy surrounding all this. I've had Richard Hoagland on many times. You know Richard, I Oh, suppose. yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, I've, I've heard uh, somebody sent me a tape of some of his talks. So uh, he's got the new Enterprise mission that claims to be going where someone has gone before. Uh, things they went, but things there's ancient civilizations represented by giant glass domes on the moon. Right. Then I had Edgar Mitchell on. He said that's so much green cheese and bologna. Right. Well, and I now I've got you Mitchell on. on that. Now I've got you on, and you're saying Mitchell is full of green cheese and bologna, basically. Right. That they never went at all. Yep. Huh. Well, I'm not saying that. Yes. I'm saying this book says that and convinced me. And convinced you. Well, so then you're saying it. <laughs> I'm saying the book convinced me. <laughs> uh, There's right. a slight difference there. I'm a reporter. I see. All right. All right. Let's take uh, a few calls just for the fun of but it. That's uh, just some of the books that I've found that are fascinating. All right. Uh, what, and what? I've got a bunch of them that are just really wonderful. All right. Well, we'll get that info on the air. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Wayne Green. Hello, Mr. Bell and Mr. Green. How are you gentlemen doing tonight? We're both fine. Great. Um, that brings up a, you, a couple of great questions. Uh, one, I was wondering how you stepped down the voltage to 30 volts to use in this um, uh, 
I guess, abstract Patterson device. Uh, well, with a transformer. Just a plain old transformer from AC to DC. Well, you uh, you want to rectify it, too. The transformer works on AC, and then you have a rectifier, which changes it into DC. That and any power there, there are any number of power supplies on the market, hundreds of them. One would think you could even use batteries. One can use batteries. Would that last for the several days that it takes to... Uh... If you can buy enough batteries, sure. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> this, uh, uh, you can you, you can use car batteries, and <clears throat> you know they provide 12 volts. So uh, by the time you have uh, three of those, you've got 36 volts, and you're in pretty good shape. That sounds fascinating. For what it's worth, uh, this is purely anecdotal, but I had an acquaintance that was uh, working on one of the government um, uh, research facilities out west. And he had mentioned that he had seen an actual device that was about the size of a suitcase. He said they flipped it open. It had two probes. There was no external power source. It was all inside the suitcase. It was designed to stick the two probes in the ground in the sandy soil, and it generated enough energy to fuse the sand into glass. So you could have an instant hard stand for some purpose out in a sandy area. Wow. And they said the, the power source was completely self-contained in there. And, and I don't know how it could be any type of battery. It would have to be something like a Patterson device. Well, uh, I don't know what that is, but I have heard about it uh, from my good friend John Campbell. I don't know if you ever if you remember him in Analog Magazine. Oh, no, sir. Have no well, idea. he was the editor of Analog uh, Science Faction, Fact and Fiction Magazine for many, many years. And... Um, he would tell me about these amazing things that were uh, had been tested and proven, but which uh, have not appeared uh, on the market. Absolutely, and if it was a, it was at a defense research facility, so that would probably explain keeping that idea under wraps. Where are you calling from, sir? I'm calling from Tacoma, Washington. Tacoma. All right, thank you. Um, remarkable stuff out there, Wayne. I I've got to wonder how all this stuff can be out there, existing, provable and yet totally ignored. Well, the government is pretty good at keeping secrets uh, at, at times. Uh, I know that um, I'm on the inside as far as the Anelia Earhart case is concerned, and uh, knew her and knew what her trip was and so forth, and they still kept that secret after 60 years. Wasn't there a news item uh, they believed they had found her remains or remains of the airplane on a South Pacific island? There's been a number of those. They they went there in uh, one island and looked for it and uh, found a shoe that they thought might have been hers. But um, there's a book out uh, just 30 years ago by Fred Gorner that told the the real story, the honest story of what happened to her and what it was all about. And um, that this it was called A Search for Amelia Earhart. It's available in paperback and hardback. I've got both copies here. Well, I'll buy it. What happened to her? Oh, um, uh, she was uh, she was on a spy mission to take photographs of Truck Island for the Navy, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, our President uh, Roosevelt had been uh, previously the Secretary of the Navy and knew that they ha they wanted to know what was going on in Truck Island. This is back in 1936, just before World War II. So they commissioned her, and so uh, they cooked up this whole around the world flight so that she could take those pictures and uh, they had her plane 
uh, changed so that they had more powerful engines on it. Wayne, and hold, bigger hold, wing tanks. Hold so it, hold, Wayne, hold it right there. We've yeah. got to cut away. We'll be right back. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from May 3rd, 1996. presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired May 3rd, 1996. Results beginning to come in. Thank you all, once again, and I really mean that. Number one in Rochester, New York, WHAM. Number one in Seattle, Tacoma, Washington, KOMO. Number one in Portland, Oregon, KEX. Number one in Detroit, Michigan, WJR. Number one in Los Angeles, California, on K-A-B-C. Thank you all. Listen, we're uh, in a chat room right now. I'm in a chat room with a whole group of people. If you want to join us, you're welcome to. Discussing the show and whatever comes up. All you do is go on AOL, America Online, check into, uh, actually go to keyword and enter the word Periscope. P-A-R-A-S-C-O-P-E, Periscope. And when you get inside... You want to go to a chat room called the Grassy Knoll, and you'll find a lot of people in there listening to the program and having a big discussion about it right now. So come on in. The water's fine. Wayne Green is my guest, the very controversial Wayne Green, talking about all kinds of things. Wayne, you'll be happy to hear this. Art, I'm one of the people that has experienced positive results from the electro device. After Wayne was on the last time, I sent for his information packet. I then had one of the machines built for me. It was about $50. I must admit I feel better than ever. I have more energy. I don't feel sluggish as I used to. I notice that my hair is no longer thinning as well. A cure for AIDS? I have no way of knowing. But I can say that a couple of treatments a day with this device has me feeling like a new person. Great show. Bonnie listening in Pekin, Illinois. How about that, Wayne? Very good. Now, I've gotten a lot of response like that, a lot. Really? Yep. And uh, the AIDS booklet, as I say, uh, has been updated with the circuit diagrams, both from Bob Beck 
demand from my readers and with a complete list of parts and how to make it and where to buy uh, the whole kits and everything like that. All right, and your claim is it will kill viruses. That's what uh, Albert Einstein College of Medicine says in their patents. That's amazing. All right, Wayne, let's take some calls or they'll scalp me. Oh, by the way, it's also patented by MIT, Harvard uh, uh, Hospital, and so forth. Stevens Hospital. Um, all right, very good, Wayne. Uh, yeah. Ho- hold on, let's go to some calls. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Wayne Green. Where are you, please? Hi, I'm in uh, Flint, Michigan. Yes, sir. Um, I have a little bit of uh, a problem with the thing where he was talking about uh, that there has to be moisture for the on the moon print. For a mm-hmm. moon uh, footprint, yes. Footprint on the moon. Uh, has he ever worked with cement? Uh, yes, and I don't think there's that much cement on the moon. Well, it, it has the same, you, you know, you don't... It, have, I know uh, there, we can put things together to do that. Yes. I mean, the the bag of cement you can like put your fingerprint in it, and there's no moisture in there. Oh yes, there is. Well, oh, very yes, little. There is. How are you going to get something dry here? It's not. It's not easy. It has to be out in the in the desert somewhere to be really dry. Or in an airless environment. I mean, you got uh, you know that does a lot for uh, separating uh, grains of sand. You know, there's a lot of air in there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right, and uh, also the 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 moon dust is like uh, very granulated, very round. It packs together very well. If it's round, it's not going to pack. Yeah, I agree. If it's round, it's going to fill in. Okay, right. I see. But I just thought I'd say that <laughs> you can put a fingerprint in a pile of uh, you know uh, cement yeah, but, powder, or even like yeah. Plaster. But what is uh, what is your humidity factor? Well, you could. No, he's and got a good you're point. Not, you're not working so you're in, in zero humidity at 274 degrees Fahrenheit. What's that? You're not working in zero humidity with zero with 274 degrees Fahrenheit. That's a good point. Okay, so uh, so basically, you're saying that there's water on the moon? No, I'm saying that there is there's no not. water. There cannot be any water, and there cannot be any footprints like that. See, I've heard that there is water in the moon. Like uh, you, you, go you have? Now. I haven't. If there's no atmosphere, how are you going to have water uh, floating around? Well, uh, are you telling me that there is an atmosphere on Moon now? <laughs> no, I'm not. Okay. All right. All good. Right, thank All right. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, and take care. No, those are good points. Uh, if it's round, it's going to fill in, and there certainly is no humidity. There's no atmosphere, and there are um, wildly varying temperatures. Uh, <clears throat> well, no. There's one temperature. There's the uh, <clears throat> the sun. When it's out, that's right. It's very hot. Yes. Uh, our our people have only been there during sunlight. They have not been there at night, so it's very hot there. And those suits are cannot possibly hold a cooling system that would take care of the amount of heat that there is there. All right. Uh, first time caller line. You're on the air with Wayne Green. Hi. Hi, Art. Uh, I was I just kind of dozed off listening to your show. I was wondering. Well, I you... don't blame you. <laughs> No, I was wondering if you can uh, repeat your address again, a uh, way to contact you. All right, sure. Uh, I'll give it. It's uh, Wayne Green in Peterborough, New Hampshire, and the zip code is 03458. How do you spell Peterborough? Any way you want. <laughs> Come P- on, Wayne. B-O-R-O. Well, I know, but how, <laughs> how are you supposed to spell it? Oh, Peter, like in Peter Rabbit. Right. Borough, like in any of the boroughs of New York City, B-O-R-O-U-G-H, right. or B-O-R-O, or B-Borough, 
dash, dash. (laughs) (laughs) You really depend on the post office, don't you? Well, the 03458 gets it through. All right. Uh, Wild card line, you're on the air with Wayne Green. Where are you, please? Uh, This is Jim calling from Houston. Great show, as always. Thank you, Jim. Uh, Wayne, uh, with regards to the stuff about the moon, number one, if I write your address, can I get, do you have some information on how to get that book? Oh, sure. That's in my list of books you're crazy if you don't read. Okay, and also, one more thing, so I'll get back to the other callers. Uh, did, uh, what is your belief about uh, Richard Hogan's feelings about stuff being on the moon? Yeah, good question. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> Sandcastles. Sand, no, I don't. Uh, I don't put any credence in it. Sorry about that. Uh, but on the other hand, you don't think we went either. No. Okay. No. Well, if there's any pictures like that, uh, they were probably taken somewhere in the, uh, you know, in the out west. All right, then. Um, if that's the case, what the hell are they doing with big glass structures out west? Well, I just visited one <laughs> down in Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> Biosphere. Oh, Lord. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with uh, Wayne Green. Good evening, John. Who's in his own biosphere. Okay. Uh, Mr. Green, uh, regarding the cold fusion you were mm-hmm. talking about earlier in the show? Yes. Right. Um, if that were to be mass-produced, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but, you know, if it were mm-hmm. introduced... Manufactured, right. Right. Um, would that have any effect on um, Howard Stern and Baba Booey? On who? Oh, it's a Howard Stern thing. Hey, like hey, Howard listen, li- listen, listen. While you're on Howard Stern out there, you're you're calling from uh, New York, right? Right. Yeah. Number, number one. one uh, number one. Number one. Number one. Number one. Hey, Art. We're at least we're listening. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, I used to live in New York. Really? I can, I can talk the language. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't like the... me, yeah, I, li- I lived in Brooklyn for 30 years. Did you? Oh, that's right, yeah. you did, I guess, didn't you? Yeah, I lived in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Brooklyn turns out a lot of strange people, Wayne. Thank you. You're welcome. West of the Rockies, you're <laughs> on the air with Wayne Green. Hi. Hello, where are you? Well, I think I got the wrong number. Okay, bye. First time caller line, you're on the air with Wayne Green. Hello. Hello. I'd like to ask Mr. Green if he has any information about treating cancer. Oh, we sure will ask him. Where are you? I'm in Boston. Boston. Yes, sir. I'm listening to you on uh, on Wham. All right. Very good. Uh, yeah, Wham gets in here very well in New England. Oh, uh, okay, Wayne. What's the deal on cancer? Okay, uh, there are a number of excellent books on cancer that I've recommended. Uh, first, by any means, is the one by Doctor Combe called "Maximize Immunity," and. Uh, uh, that I would run, not walk, to get that book. Uh, the Beck device has been reported numerous times uh, to help with cancer. Uh, there are, are just a number of approaches to cancer, none of which are being used by commercial medicine. And um, uh, as I say, there's uh, a number of books on my list that have to do with that. All right, let me ask you a little bit about a different kind of cancer, skin cancer. There was a report the other day that because of the thinning ozone and exposure to the sun, skin cancers, particularly the awful melanoma, is has just gone up uh, horrendously. Do you give credence to this uh, theory of the thinning ozone? I have not read any books that convince me that this is a uh, a major problem. There's one by Dixie Ray Lee that's on my list that goes into this and shows that this is mostly hype. 
mostly hype. Right. Uh, how then do you account for the increased uh, skin cancer? Well, <laughs> I think we're having increased reports of it. I'm not sure that the uh, the amount of skin cancer is actually increasing. There was also a report that uh, men, cancer for men, since World War II, all cancers have increased non-smoking related, uh, Wayne, by mm -hmm. 300% since World War II. Right. Now, if you'll read some of the books, you'll find that this ties right in with the increase of dioxin and uh, the increase in fluorides in our water, and that these go hand in hand. And our water is being fluorided all over the country, and the result of this seems to be an increase in cancer all over the country. And, of course, dioxin has been put into our groundwater uh, everywhere. Well, dioxin is... in our, uh, our faucets. I, I'm not sure about fluoride, but dioxin is certainly a carcinogen. There's right. no question about that. All right, hold on, Wayne. We'll be right back to you. Now we take you back to the night of May 3rd, 1996, on Art Bell's Somewhere in Time. Back now to Wayne Green. Hi, Wayne. Hi there. All right, back to the phones. West of the Rockies, Wayne Green is on the air. You're on the air with him, actually. Good evening, Art. Uh, first, I want to say I love your Dreamland program. This is the first time I caught your Coast to Coast. Oh, well, uh, here you go. Uh, glad to have you. Where are you? My name is David, and I'm from Glendale, Arizona. Okay, David. Uh, I just caught the part where he was talking about uh, the moon mission, and I had a question concerning debunking it as far as... Uh, how did they explain the picture? Why, why, why don't you read the book? Well, uh, <laughs> I might, I might read, but I just had a question. The author of the book. No, uh, I'd like to. All right. Yeah, all right. Okay. My question uh, is, how did they explain the picture of the Earth? Oh, it, it's a very good point. Uh, it's a very good point. They took a, a picture of Earth from space, Yeah. Uh, from the moon. And you're telling me that you do not think that any of our computer... Uh, simulations could possibly do that, right? Oh, I wouldn't tell you that. Okay, don't tell me that. All right. Uh, somebody on our in our chat room listening to you on KARN 920 in Little Rock, Arkansas. I make all of my co-workers listen to you at the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, the home of Bill Clinton. <laughs> 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 That's what it says. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hey, how's it going? It's going. Uh, what What's on your mind, sir? It's a strange love, and um, I'm gonna. I have a couple of uh, things to uh, go over with Wayne. All right. I did these experiments in the late '80s when I was a doctoral student in nuclear engineering at Rensselaer, and you're from Brooklyn, so you yep, know. I'm what... familiar. I'm an RPI graduate. Uh, RPI I'm... 44. I have a, a doctorate from RPI and two master's degrees from RPI. Okay, and uh, we all. I was the first executive in residence at RPI. Well, um, <laughs> I have in my hot little hands the uh, the original article from Pons and Fleshman. And right. I understand uh, you said you're getting power out, but is this chemical power or nuclear power? Heat power. 
That's hmm. chemical. If you've got nuclear power... It's not power, chemical, no. It's not fusion because then you'd be dead because if you got one watt of fusion power, you'd have 10 to the ninth neutrons. Yes, I understand all of that, and uh, we're right covering that very thoroughly in Cold Fusion magazine. Have you talked to Steve Jones at BYU? Yes, I have. And do you know the theory of... And he has been debunked very thoroughly in my magazine. Well, I don't think so because um, his, his theory is that... Um, well, all of the other physicists think so. Think so. Well, I think I don't think it's no. At it RPI, way, uh, I don't think it works the way you say it does. Well, at and RPI, uh, as I recall reading in the RPI review, you were successful in duplicating Pons and Fleischmann's. No, nope. uh, no, we weren't. You were not successful. No one was. There oh, was, oh no! Wait, what do you mean, no one? Someone at Los Alamos that claimed they did. But no one was. It's all oh, a number all, of uh, a number all, of places uh, did succeed. It's all a smoke and mirrors. It's all smoke and mirrors. It is all smoke and mirrors. Yes, I know. I've heard that from no, uh, John Huizinga. You would be dead if you had one watt of power from neutrons. Right? All right. All right. Well, let, no, hold it, folks. Let's take right. this one at a time. He says if you had one watt, that you would generate uh, a tremendous to the ninth neutrons. All right. And how do you? Oh, okay. Now pause. How do you answer that, Wayne? Uh, I I say that it does not generate those neutrons. Do the calculations. Run the numbers. I, I know. I have published uh, very scientific articles on this with all of the calculations. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter where you publish it. If you're showing just exactly how this works. You could with, publish uh, it in a rag that is... Look, look, look. You, you, call her, call her. Yeah. This has got to be a conversation that people can right. listen to, and that means you talk, then Wayne talks. Okay, hold then, on, let me turn then, down my radio. Then you talk. You let turn me... down your radio, and uh, Wayne, you go ahead, and then we'll let him respond. Okay, I really didn't want to get into a technical conversation on twin noop, uh, on uh, uh, Cooper pairs and so forth, because this is, is something that I've just had to learn recently, and uh, I, I don't think this will be of much interest uh, getting into a technical thing. I say... For goodness sakes, read the magazine, which has articles by the top scientists in the world on this. Okay, my and, turn. And uh, find out what's going on, rather than just uh, uh, going by uh, the negative things that came out as a result of the business uh, contacts. All right, caller. Okay. Go okay. Ahead. okay, here's the thing. Um, I don't think that your magazine is credible, because I remember in the late 70s... But you haven't I, read No, it. it's my turn. I let you talk. You let me talk. When I was in the late 70s, I saw this uh, antenna theory come out in Lyndon LaRouche's Fusion magazine. Do you think that's a credible magazine? No. Okay, well, that's where this theory first came out, of this antenna theory for AIDS. And now you're saying that cold, you know, cold fusion's going down the same road. You can't duplicate the experiments of Pons and Fleshman. No one has been able to do it. You're wrong. No, it's I'm not been, wrong. It's been, it has been reproduced no, a hundred times in countries all over no, the world. No, I'm not wrong. They, they're, they're, not doing, they're not getting nuclear energy out of it. They're getting chemical Nobody energy. Nobody said they were getting nuclear energy. Then it's not fusion. Then it's not cold fusion. So why do you want to argue about this coast to coast with me on the telephone? Why don't, you write, why don't you at least read the magazine and get the information? I'm not going to buy your magazine because... Okay, uh, well then you don't want to know. Oh, I do know. If you not, don't, oh, you, you already know. I do. I do think. Caller, I rest my case. All no. right. Uh, yeah, I think uh, that it's a little unfair for that caller to sit out there and say it ain't so, and I don't want to read about it and uh, confuse myself with any facts. So uh, that's a little unfair. All right. Last year there were cold fusion conferences in Monaco, in Russia, 
in Italy, in uh, uh, in India, in uh, see the United States has three of them. Uh, there was one in Japan and so forth. These people are not getting together all over the world uh, because something doesn't work. All right, very good. Yeah, it seems like an awful lot of money to spend uh, to set these guys up over in uh, the south of France uh, for no reason at all. So uh, there's bound to be something to it. Uh, is there anything to what he says about it not being an actual cold fusion keyword uh, reaction? Could it be? Well, how else do you have uh, transmutation of elements other than by that? Well, the answer is you don't. And right. you, you have said okay. you have said that after the uh, reaction process has been going on for a while, they look at the contents and they find what? They find uh, many elements that were not there to start with. For example? For example, copper, for example, silver, beryllium, boron, antimony, and so forth. All right, good, Wayne. Uh, stay right there. We'll be back to you after the break. Wayne Green is my guest, uh, the editor of 73... Magazine, if you have anything you want to ask or contribute, we are here. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from May 3rd, 1996. Whispers of some quiet conversation. She's coming in 12.30 flights. The moonlit wings reflect the stars that guide me towards salvation. I stopped an old man along the way Hoping to find some old forgotten words Or ancient melody Somewhere in time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from May 3rd, 1996. Cold fusion at home, anybody? We're going to roll over it again here in a minute. I'm getting all kinds of faxes. People want to know how to do it. We're about to tell you. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from May 3rd, 1996. Wayne Green. Hey, Art. Yes. Uh, on that water thing, there's a book that everybody ought to read, you included. All right. Uh, have you read Your Body's Many Cries for Water by Batman Geldy? I have not. By golly, read it, and you will be drinking eight glasses of water a day for the rest of your life, at least. I guarantee it. I have, I've begun to drink a lot more water, Wayne. I think it's good for people. And, you know, I, I love my groundwater here. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a well also, but I still distill everything. Mm. 
Um, all right. Uh, I know. But, but it, do read that book. All right. I know it's painful, uh, Wayne, but I've got a whole stack of facts here saying, come on, get them to repeat the cold fusion experiment. We missed the first part of the show. So <laughs> I'm sorry, but we're going to have to roll over it once more. Cold fusion at home, folks. Here's how you do it. Wayne Green. Okay. Let's see now. You use uh, oh, potassium uh, carbonate in water. And it doesn't make an awful lot of difference what your concentration is. And you have a couple of nickels which you hang into it, uh, put some either solder on or clip leads onto them, but don't have anything but the nickel in the water. And you pass a current through it. And uh, if you have a couple of batteries there, uh, 24 to 30 volts or something like that, will generate enough current so that uh, you can heat that water. You put a thermometer in the water and then a thermometer outside so that you can measure the difference in heat. And you will find after a few hours and maybe a couple of days, it depends on how uh, fast the hydrogen from the liquid goes into the uh, into the nickel, uh, that heat will start being generated and the, uh, the temperature of the liquid will go way up. And then you want to uh, uh, have a little stir in there to stir it and... Uh, that's a simple experiment that you can do on your all right, well, kitchen we, table. We didn't quite cover all the details. Now, you can solder onto the two nickels, right? Uh, but you say that you don't want that copper portion of the wire in the water? That's right. So you, you only want the nickels in Just the water? Just the nickel in the water, right. If you had palladium, that would work a little better. But nickel works fine. Yeah, but Dr. You, you, Patterson has been very successful with his uh, nickel-coated uh, and then palladium-coated on top of that. Okay, but, but, but Wayne, you, yeah. you, you would solder the wire to the uh, edge of the nickel and dip, right. and then just dip the nickel into the water? That's correct. Okay, and you do that on each side of the glass, and then you right. and you pass about 36 volts, 40 volts, something like that? Anything around there, sure. Uh-huh. And then the temperature will begin to build in this process? As, as the hydrogen there and their uh, heat uh, loads up, uh, you will find that it begins to generate extra heat. <clears throat> uh, what happens is that the uh, if you use a lithium bath, uh, the hydrogen plus the lithium fuses together and becomes beryllium, and then another hydrogen fuses onto that, making it into boron. And when you look at the chemical weights of that, you find that when you've made uh, two hydrogens and lithium together, uh, you have a little extra mass left over, and that is what generates your heat, because uh, uh, you know we have uh, Einstein's formula E equals mc squared, which means that a little tiny bit of matter makes an awful lot of extra energy. Makes sense? Uh, yes. And um, so one other warning, and that is that the water will continue to get hot, and then if you don't uh, cool that water uh, in some way, it will either boil off or possibly even explode. Well, if it boils up, then you can generate, you know, it, it just it will take off on its own. So don't let it do that. And uh, <laughs> just just uh, use it to test out the principle, and then you'll find that this works. All right. Uh, one odd thing. Uh, on the last time I was on, some months ago, uh, the thing that attracted the most reader interest was when uh, you asked me about, uh, you know, how you make money. And uh, we got into a thing about uh, a ham radio wanting a tower and, and I said, well, you know, the best way to not have interference is to ha live on a 200-acre farm. That's right. And I said, you know, anybody can do that. And, uh, boy, people were interested. You know, how do you make money? And uh, I uh, finally gave up and wrote, sat down and wrote a little booklet on 
Making Money, A Beginner's Guide, uh, pointing out how anybody can become a millionaire within seven years, and if they really determined, within five. How? And uh, <clears throat> Well, that's in the booklet. <laughs> well, come... uh, what you have to know is the basic secret, and uh, fundamentally it is uh, the way that you aim your life. There are three major ways that you can be poor all your life. And, uh, or, you know, not make much money at any rate. Mm. And number one is to work for a large corporation. Number two is to work for the government. Mm -hmm. And number three is to teach. And what do our schools and colleges aim you for? Working for large corporations, working for the government and teaching. It's true. And, um, but these are not the routes to making much money. The easiest route to making money is to be an entrepreneur and have your own business. But this means that you have to learn a lot. And you're real stupid if you learn on your own money when there are other people out there who would be delighted to pay you to learn. And what I do in my book is say, you know, here's how you go about it. Well, so you've Makes got... Makes sense? N yes, now you've got a book on how to get rich, huh? Mm -hmm. uh, how to make money, a beginner's guide. <laughs> you know, I've always had and kind of... And for anybody any age. I've always had kind of a strange attitude about money. I'm comfortable now. I'm not rich, but I'm comfortable. And um, I, it's sort of as though, Wayne, when I get enough money to have the toys I want and my house and I'm comfortable, and then I sort of don't care whether I have any more or not. Isn't exactly. That, isn't that weird? Right. Well, no, it isn't. I'm that way. I could care. I've never been interested in making money. I've never, not one of my projects that I've ever started has been for the purpose of making money. I've always done things because, oh, heck, somebody ought to do that. <clears throat> and then I make money. <laughs> well, I, I've noticed that the money seems to come as a byproduct of having fun. Exactly. <laughs> I haven't really worked in years, but I've been having an awful lot of fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, well, good. Uh, that's that's uh, You know, we're here for such a short time. If you're not having fun, then you need to reexamine what you're oh, doing. Oh, Lordy, why work at something that isn't fun? That's crazy. Mm, I know. What uh, a waste of a lifetime. I mean, look at you. You really did it. You've about made a living off ham radio. Of course. My major hobby. Yeah. And. And an adventure, my gosh. Uh, Ham Radio got me two trips around the world and, uh, you know, and, and a hunting safari in Africa. That, mu that must <laughs> I, have been I could fun. go on and on about the, you know, and the expeditions to weird places. You know, I've been up to Nepal, Lesotho, Swaziland, uh, operated from the King's Palace in Jordan and so forth. That's great. I've always wanted to uh, take off to a little south, maybe Christmas Island. Oh, I've got some contacts for you there. Do you? You bet. <laughs> East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Wayne Green. Hello. Hello, Art. Where are uh, you, sir? Illinois. Illinois, all right. All right, uh, I got a question for uh, Wayne, your guest. Yes. Um, is, are, is that booklet about money, uh, should I, like, send you a couple bucks? or <laughs> Send five. <laughs> five dollars. Right. Okay. And uh, I got a couple questions. Uh, why be cheap? Pardon? I say, why should I be cheap about it? <laughs> sure. Okay, um, when I transfer the uh, heat to energy, I'm going to try that experiment. Uh, mm -hmm. What would be the easiest way to transfer the energy to usable energy? Well, you you want to build a little bit uh, something a little bit larger than a uh, a glass on the table for that. Right, right. And um, the best way is to have a uh, uh, you know some kind of a cell with your uh, metal in it and the uh, the uh, electrolyte and just uh, exchange that into 
whatever you want to radiate the heat from. In other words, for example, caller, seems to me you could ma you could build a unit and literally put it inside of uh, a water heater, for example. Right. And heat the water for your house. Yep. Yeah, that's interesting. I might try that. Um, I also got a question. Uh, where can I get your cold fusion magazine? Oh, uh, Wayne Green, Peterborough, New Hampshire, 03458. And you'll send me one? Uh, well, if you send me a couple dollars, I'll send you an overview on cold fusion, bringing you up to date on uh, uh, where the state of the art is, and that'll tell you how to subscribe, which isn't cheap. That'll be great. I'll, I'll do that. All right. Um, and I got one more question. Sure. If, uh, if I made that AIDS and the uh, the virus killer, right? Um, it, you talked about patents. Is that legal to make it, and just as long as I didn't sell it? Oh yes. Uh, the patents that have been uh, granted on that are by the hospitals for taking the blood out of the body mm. and p passing it through an electric current. Uh, there are no patents on the device for doing it in the body, in vivo, as they call it. I also um, read a little bit of research that was done um, with some effect, Wayne, uh, people taking uh, slowly the blood out of the body, heating it to a certain temperature, then cooling it and returning it to the body, and they thought uh, and had some good results with that with regard to AIDS. Well, uh, they've had a lot of deaths, too. Uh, because if you heat it in a microwave and put it back in the body, it kills you. Oh. <laughs> well, I, I, th I think it was just a thermal heating. Not yeah, thermal I hope way. so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, yes, there's a book out by uh, Dr. William Douglas yes. on using ultraviolet for that, and that is one of the books on my list of books people are crazy if they don't read. All right. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Wayne Green. Hi. Hi, Art. Uh, say, Mr. Green reminds me of a person who I... Uh, I've done some reading about lately, named Buckminster Fuller. I wonder if Mr. Green ever knew Mr. Oh, Fuller sure. and uh, if he had anything to say about him. Yeah, I knew Bucky. And as a matter of fact, see, I'm one of the founders of American Mensa. And, uh, oh, you are? Yeah. There was four of us got together and formed American Mensa, and I was the first secretary for the first couple of years. I'll be darned. And, uh, but at any rate, we had Bucky at a, uh, a, 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 a national uh, meeting uh, that was held up in Canada, and uh, he addressed us and everything. It was fascinating. What is your IQ? My IQ? Mm -hmm. Oh, about 175. Is it really? Yeah. Um, another man with a very high IQ, 150 plus, was a guy they're calling the Unabomber. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I read his manifesto, and if you erase the fact that he's a cold-blooded killer, and you just read the manifesto, there are many parts of it that make some sense. Yeah. Did you read it? No. No? No. Uh, that was in newspapers, and I'm sorry to report that I don't read any newspapers. You don't read newspapers. If, if well, it doesn't make uh, Newsweek or Time or U.S. News uh, or something like that, I miss it. I see. Well, I need a filter. <laughs> <laughs> First time caller line, you're on the air with Wayne Green. Hi. Hi. Where are you? Uh, I'm in uh, North Hills, California. All right. Go ahead. Turn your radio off and go. Uh, yes, uh, I'd like to. This is my first time call here. What, what I'd like to say is, uh, if I could just have uh, like turn turn your radio off, sir. Tur yes. How's that? Uh, just turn it off. Okay. Uh, what I'd like to say is, is uh, first off, 
If I could just have 45 seconds just to mention a couple of things. First off, is there an element 15? And if so, how is it spelled? Uh, sir, I'm, I'm going to ask you again to turn your radio off, and it'll be the last time I'm going to ask. Okay? Yes, sir. It's turned off. Yeah, I'll take, thank you. Uh, number two, footprints on the moon. Uh, is it regular sand? And if there is, there's no atmosphere there. Would they leave footprints? Number three, the rocket imprints that were left from the rocket leaving. Uh, same thing. Uh, is it regular sand? There's no air. Number four, John Glenn on down. Oh, hold on. You're there. Look, we can't take a whole laundry list here. Let's take them one at a time. Element 15. 115. Oh, 115. Mm -hmm. Is there such a thing? <laughs> How would I know? <laughs> when I went to college, it ended at 92, and that was the end of the line. <laughs> yeah, as far as we know, uh, there's been speculation about 115 with Bob Lazar and people like that. That's all we know about. It's connected. But you're up in the uh, radioactive element yeah, there, that, that, and I'm working right. down in the 20s. Yeah. Okay, the sun in the shadows. Mm-hmm. Uh, if well, we know what it would be on Earth. Uh, what would it be there? Well, uh, if uh, we've never we, been there, how do you know? How, how if do you the know that would cross? Pardon me. How would you know if the shadows would cross and what angle everything would be at if we never were there, or are we just going off what we know from here? Yeah, well, it's a uh, it's a simple matter of uh, mathematics, and uh, the sun shines straight, and uh, you can measure the angle. It has nothing to do with where it is. Atmosphere doesn't change the angles that the sun uh, uh, shines. Mm -hmm. So yeah. if you have two people standing almost side by side and one has a short shadow and the other has a long shadow how do you do that from one radiation uh, from one light source that's a good point okay and as far as the rocket blast on the sand and the footprints with uh, is it regular sand and no air for both of those questions there's no air no moisture whatever okay um east of the rockies you're on the air with wayne green hi hi i just want to tell you this is the best program you've ever had. I love it. Where are you, dear? In Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City. Yeah. All right. And uh, I'm going to, I have tons of questions. I mean, I could talk to this guy forevermore. His, his <laughs> well, right. I answer are everything. <laughs> All right. Well, go ahead and launch a question. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, send off for his things and everything. I've got his address, but I just wanted to tell you that this is just the great this program you've ever had. I'm just laughing. I love it. All right. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it. High entertainment, at very least, uh, Wayne. Um, all right, time for one more at the bottom of the hour here. Uh, you're on the air with Wayne Green on the first-time caller line. Where are you, please? I'm in Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City, all right. I was just curious. Uh, they You used to advertise a an air filter that used ozone, I believe, or... No, it's, it was not an air filter, dear. It, it was something that inter introduced ozone into the air, ozone and ions, and um, it takes particulate matter out of the air, and it works very well. Thank you. Well, I wondered, you know, they talk about ozone damaging the atmosphere and so on, so I just wondered if Mr. Green had heard of this and if he had an opinion on it. All that. right, Wayne, are you aware of the machines that introduce ozone and ions into the air? Oh, yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think the problem that they're worrying about is a lack of ozone, not a uh, not too much of it. That's right. Uh, <laughs> how about uh, the effectiveness of these machines that introduce this into the uh, house air and eliminate particulate matter? Well, uh, every 
report that I've seen says that they work well. As a matter of fact, I just had a call yesterday from a chap uh, where they were using that uh, as a, uh, a health aid for someone who had cancer and was in the last stages of cancer. All right, Wayne, we're going to have to hold it there. Stay right there. We'll be right back to you. I, too, use one of those machines in this house, and I can tell you it works. We'll be right back. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from May 3rd, 1996. Listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from May 3rd, 1996. Interesting item from Reuters News from Sydney, Australia. Gorillas and chimpanzees should be reclassified into the same species group as humans because of the closeness of their DNA, according to a team of Australian and New Zealand scientists. That's a new one. I've got more, and we'll get to it uh, later. We're going to do another 30 minutes of phone calls and information with Wild Man Green. Now we take you back to the night of May 3rd, 1996, on Art Bell's Somewhere in Time. All right, back now to Wayne Green, all the way to New Hampshire, where it's no doubt getting late in the morning, and the sun will be up soon. Is that about right? Yep, it should be up here in about, uh, well, I can just see it coming over the horizon probably in about five, six minutes. There you are. All right, back to the phones, Wayne. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Wayne Green. Good evening. Wayne Green? Wayne Green. Oh, I thought this was... Uh... I've got a guest. <laughs> Are you not listening to your radio, sir? Yes, I am. Well, then you should know. Well, uh, I thought this was the uh, uh, Bell Show. Yes, it is. This is Art Bell. But oh, I, is this I, you, Art? Yes, but I've got a guest. No, oh, no. never mind the guest. Oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, well, I had a, I had the answer for you, Art, uh, for that uh, question on um, 
uh, on the moon or why it leaves prints. Hello? Hello? Oh, uh, the reason being is that uh, all of the moon uh, material is paramagnetic, if you recall. I don't. Yeah, and so it uh, it, it kind of acts as if, you remember like if you have a glass table and you put uh, uh, metal on it, you put a magnet underneath it. Now, <clears throat> I hate to tell you this, but uh, I happen to be a specialist on the moon. And uh, why would you hate to tell me that? Well, I, I'm uh, I'm I'm a little reticent to say what I know about it. Uh, like I've been listening to you for months and months, Art, on Hoagland, and I guarantee you, there's nothing on the moon. All right. Well, what are your qualifications? You're an expert. Uh, I studied it for over sixty years. Okay. And uh, I'm, in fact, I'm applying for thirty-one. Nobel Prizes, and I'm not doing... You're applying for 31 Nobel yeah, Prizes? I'm not doing thesis. I'm going to do a presentation. And uh, I guarantee you I'm going to devastate the entire uh, scientific world uh, with the information I have. So That's what I like, ambition. Well, <laughs> uh, uh, there's uh, several other things. Um, a real nice uh, fella, uh, Dr. Kubrick, uh, at uh, Stanford Research Institute, uh, has been working on the uh, uh, oh the uh, coal fusion. Yeah, coal fusion. I know Kubrick. Yeah, he's a nice fella, and you know he lost a fella down. They got killed because they had an explosion. Yep. And uh, uh, that was early on. Yeah. Right. Since uh, then, uh, there's been a couple more explosions, but nobody hurt. Uh huh. Well, one uh, down here in Winchester, New Hampshire, uh, pardon me, Massachusetts. Uh-huh. Well, I'll tell you a little secret. I've already played with something that's far, far more uh, overwhelming uh, than cold fusion. What is uh, it? What is that? Well, uh, a friend of mine, an old-timer, uh, has already perfected it, and we're sitting on it. Uh, what is it? Well, what it is, it's uh, superconductivity at room temperature. Well, I, I think I've read that that... Uh has been achieved. What do you know about that, Wayne? Superconductivity. What is the uh, state of the art? Well, uh, uh, you know, I've tried to keep up on that, but I not to become an expert on it. But uh, as I understand it, they have uh, brought the temperature up of uh, superconductivity, but certainly not room temperature. Uh, it's been brought up to, uh, you know, in the minus, what, uh, 250 or something like that degrees? Yes. Uh, with ceramics. But... Um, uh, we're still waiting for more breakthroughs on that, and that would certainly be welcome. But I'm not sure how that's going to provide energy for the world at an uh, inexpensive price. It would simply transfer it at reasonable rates. Yeah, it would uh, certainly cut down on the cost of uh, moving it around. It sure would. Uh, but if you can generate it at home, you don't have to have wires anymore. Yeah, that's a very good point. First time caller line, you're on the air with Wayne Green. Where are you, please? Pleasanton, California. All right. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I got my radio going, so I'm. Well, turn it off. Okay, it's off. Um, God, I just I have a whole list of stuff in front of me, so I'm going to try to shut it down. <laughs> so have I. Been listening to you forever. Um, <clears throat> my first question is, um, kind of like, why would uh, the government want to perpetrate such a sham on us as as uh, a phony <clears throat> moon landing? And forty uh, billion dollars. Pardon me. Four zero, forty billion dollars. Yeah, that that makes sense to me. The money does. 
Um, but I'm looking at maybe some other angles. Uh, I realize they have to justify the funds, so they're going to set up a studio somewhere and, and shoot it. And I have a very open mind. I haven't decided what I believe yet. Um, and as a matter of fact, I'm getting really, in my old age here, Art, you're killing me off. I thought I was a strongly convicted person, and all of a sudden I'm the most... I am. I have no convictions at all. I change my mind from one minute to the next here with your show. Huh. Um, I'm trying to look at what maybe the big picture would be. I know they're they're um, you know gearing up the nation for all the little things that they're pulling, kind of like you did with your um, your Rockwell materials. I know the other night you mentioned that someone asked you if you were going to definitely tell us the results from this lab and you yes, I am definitely going to tell the results. Um, what's happened, Wayne? You wouldn't know about this. Somebody anonymously uh, from Charleston, South Carolina, sent me materials um, supposedly gathered uh, by their grandfather uh, at Roswell. Mm -hmm. So I have alleged Roswell materials. I've got them off, uh, getting them tested in a lab right now. And um, we'll see what happens. I, I, I have no idea whether I, I've got junk or treasure. We'll find out. But that, that is what the lady was uh, referring to. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Wayne Green. Hello. Yes. Yes, hello. Yes. Uh, district, turn uh, turn off your radio. Yes, thank you, Wayne. Okay, it's off. Good. Yeah, I, I've been on the road, so I, I just, uh, I've been listening to the program here, and I, I haven't had a chance to write anything down, and I want to, you know, I've got a lot of questions, but one of the, one of the things I want to know is, uh, how can I get a transcript of this? Because I've been, I haven't been able to catch it all. All right, sir. Uh, listen to me. Uh, for those of you who want copies of this program, and I know there are going to be many, you can get them by calling one eight hundred nine one seven four two seven eight. That's one eight hundred nine one seven four two seven eight. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Wayne Green. Hi. Hello, Art Bell. Hello. Boy, it's been a long time. Wayne Green. Yeah. I, I'm a sightless ham operator, and I'm wondering if there would be possible for you to somehow or another get your 73 magazine recorded for we sightless hams who can't avail ourselves of that. It's a good point, Wayne. It's not that hard to do. Right. Uh, we used to have that, and I think the service finally uh, didn't have enough customers, so they gave up on it. Uh, have you ever considered going through something like the Library of Congress or the American Printing House for the Blind or something like that? Well, I don't know much about it. Okay, I would like for you to do that. And and, and can I just get somebody to send you a letter for me and get a list of all this stuff you have available? And, and you bet. Me, I've got a list available. Well, let me ask you this. How much money would I need to send to cover it all? Uh, well, the list is free. Okay. And then from then on, you can pick and choose my uh, World, Two, World War Two submarine adventures, uh, my travels, telling people how they can travel inexpensively all over the world. Uh, <clears throat> I have a book out on how to repair all of the major problems of the U.S. government. And, uh, oh, gosh, I've got a list of books that you're crazy if you haven't read. I've got a booklet out on AIDS and so forth. That, uh, what's the name of the book that debunks the moon mission? Oh, that's called NASA Mooned America. <laughs> <laughs> how appropriate. Uh, right. Uh, and the author is being very secretive. His name is Rene, mm -hmm. and yeah. uh, I have kind of an exclusive arrangement to uh, sell these books for him. Okay, good. Well, Most of the books, I would say, with one or two exceptions, the books that I recommend that people read are not books that I sell because uh, 
I'm recommending them because you ought to read them, not because I make any money out of it. All right. Uh, first on caller line, you're on the air with Wayne Green. Hi. Wayne Garrett? Wayne Green. Oh, green. Like in red. Red green. What's what's on your mind, sir? Turn off your radio. Yeah, turn off your uh, radio. We have to turn off radio. Yes, you do. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Wayne Green. Hi. East of the Rockies? Arbel? Yes. How you doing? I'm doing fine. What's on your mind? Um, got a question. Now, one comment was uh, when Wayne earlier tonight talked about the cold fusion experiment. Yes. He said that he used sodium bicarbonate. Uh, yeah, uh, potassium carbonate is oh, better. Is potassium bicarbonate better? Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's it. Thanks All right. Time. Thank you. Uh, West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Wayne Green. Hi. Good morning, Art and Wayne. Dennis from Portland calling. Yes, Dennis. I have another celebrity ham operator to add to your list for you. All right. Major Jesse Marcel. Uh, junior? Senior. Senior. As a matter of fact, that I thought I, I thought Senior was, had passed away. Yes, he had, but that is how the Roswell story was broken. A uh, fellow that he used to talk to on the radio uh, very often, a good friend of his, uh, went to a Stanton Friedman lecture, and after the lecture, walked up to Stanton and uh, mentioned what uh, Marcel had told him and asked him if he'd like to get in contact with him and. Uh, Within a year, uh, the Unsolved Mysteries special was on the air, and the rest is history. I'll be darned. I didn't know that. Yeah, I uh, spent some time with Stanton Friedman, and he uh, relayed that story to me. Pretty interesting how it uh, broke oh. through the ham radio. Yeah, fascinating. Well, score one more for ham radio. Thank you. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Wayne Green. Hi. Good morning, Art and Wayne. Where are you, sir? I'm in Odessa, Texas. All right. And uh, first of all, I wanted to say I, I don't mean to discredit Mr. Green or anybody in any way. And uh, I'm the one that called and told you I know that when you get the results back, you're going to report exactly, you know, what you get back. But what is to stop the government from saying, okay, this is what you can say and this is what you can't say, you know? Well, me. Well, I don't mean you. I mean Mr. Green. I see. Oh, the, the government, uh, with one exception... Uh, has no control over what I say and usually hates it. Amen. <laughs> okay. You know, I, I have a simple procedure that Congress could uh, enact which would make it so that every government bureau would cut itself enthusiastically and cooperatively in half within three years. Great. I have a question for you, Mr. Green. And they would hate it. Uh, on your book, uh, The Mending of the Government, Picking right. What's Wrong with the Government, yep. why are you not in the running for president? Uh, <laughs> I'm not a good administrator. Ah, well, we'll vote for you. <laughs> no, you don't want me time. in there uh, running things. Uh, I have ideas. I do a lot of research, a lot of reading, and then I say, put it all together and say, okay, here's what... Uh, the best ideas that I have found anywhere in the world on these things. Right. Those that can teach and those that can't do. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Uh, call the wild card lines, area 702-727-1295. Thank you. East of the Rocky, call toll-free 1-800-618-8255. <laughs> First time caller line, you're on the air with Wayne Green. Hello. Good morning, Art. Good morning, Wayne. Yes, good morning. Where are you? Uh, I'm in Baker, California right now. I'm Steve from California. I actually live in Victorville. Okay. I'm a truck driver. All right. Uh, my question, first of all, is for Art. Art, I'm about to head up through 127 into Pahrump, and I'm having problems with the radio signal. What is the station to listen to? It's in there. 
Try 840 KVEG in Las Vegas or 890 uh, from Utah. Uh, okay. You, either one of those or 1000 from Seattle. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Is that uh, it? My question oh. for you, Mr. Green, is uh, about the moon thing and everything. I mean, you you explain a little bit here and there, but basically you keep coming back to, well, why don't you read the book? Right. And I'm sorry, sir, I'm listening to a radio and I, I drive a truck for a living. I, okay. You know... I would like to hear more about things. I would just like to hear you explain more because I think you're a very intelligent person. But I would, I, I, want, I too am inquisitive, but I don't seem to be hearing much from you other than read the book. All right. Okay. Well, yes, because it, uh, that would be the topic for a couple of hours. Uh, there's the matter of <clears throat> the sun's heat. Uh, cold does not radiate. You, you know a therm how a thermos bottle works. And uh, therefore, we have this sun's heat because they're there on the moon only in the daytime. And you have to have an enormous cooling system uh, to keep them from uh, boiling. Uh, number two, the solar flares and the solar wind, which cause our aurora, uh, pr we're protected by the Van Allen belt. As soon as you get out of there, uh, you have a thousand to a million times more radiation uh, than the body can stand. And it takes uh, an estimated six feet of lead to protect you from that. And they didn't have that on any of our trips out there. Uh, there's no, um, let's see now, there's no mention whatever at any time of these uh, astronauts seeing the stars. And yet that's the one thing that's going to really jump out at you once you're outside there. Uh, then there's a matter of the spacesuit pressure. It takes at least five or six pounds per square inch to keep the body from uh, falling apart, and yet uh, if you have five or six pounds per square inch over uh, our atmospheric pressure, you have something like a, um, a football which doesn't bend, and uh, those suits should look like Michelin men. Uh, then you have the matter of ma navigation, where they were able to pinpoint navigate over a an enormous distance with almost no corrections, uh, which is almost impossible. Then you have the 1967, when this whole thing first got going, and we had 11 astronauts die under strange circumstances all in one year. Uh, some of them reputed to uh, be causing trouble and maybe blowing the whistle on this. So the book goes through all of these things in great detail. All right, good, Wayne. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you got to get to that. Um, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Wayne Green. Hi. Hi, yes. Let me turn off my radio. Thank you. And tell us uh, where you're calling from. I'm calling from Houston. All right. I just wanted to ask, uh, I saw seen a special this evening on TV, on Spanish television. I'm not sure if y'all got to see that. No. Uh, no. It was all regarding uh, uh, UFO conspiracy and a whole bunch of other things. They mentioned something about sacred geometry. I wanted to see if Wayne knew anything <laughs> about that. No, but I've read enough about UFOs over the years uh, to be quite convinced that they're real. I've had experiences myself. I've had close friends with experiences. And I don't believe that thousands of people are concocting them. No, nor do millions. I. Nor do I. No, there is something to it. Uh, there's certainly something there's to it. There's a lot to it. Yep. And that's why uh, when we have this SETI, the SETI project of trying to... Uh, detect uh, radio signals from other uh, plant, uh, from other solar systems, I think that's a waste of time and money because uh, I believe that we're already, uh, they're already here and in contact with us. 
and I think that the radio transmission is something that we will use for a hundred years or so, and then go on to something much better and faster. All right, Wayne, it has been wonderful having you here. I want to give you a chance to give your address once again uh, so people can get in touch with you, and we'll have you on the air again. Okay, I'd love to. Uh, my address is Wayne Green, Peterborough, New Hampshire, 03458. And if they want to fax me, uh, the number is 603-588-3205. And don't wear my paper out <laughs> too much. Uh, but I, I, I do try to answer everybody. The uh, last time I was on art, I got over 2,500 uh, letters and faxes. My goodness. And I got them all answered. You got them all answered? I got them all answered. Um, I can't make that same claim. I, I get uh, an immense amount of mail, and I try to answer what I can, but it's just it's off into the realm of nearly impossible now. Well, you probably get a lot more than 2,500 spread over several months. I, we bring it back in tubs. Right. I'm still getting letters every day from when I was on in November. No kidding. No well, kidding. Well, now you're going to get lots more mail, and your fax number again... Uh, Send as, send as many pages as you want. Ah, 588-3205. <laughs> All right. Wonderful. <laughs> well, uh, you're a pure joy to have on, uh, Wayne. Well, I've got so much more to talk about. We need another 10 hours. Yeah, well, we'll do it again. We'll do it again. No problem. Right. Okay. Because uh, we haven't even gotten into education and what can be done about that. We haven't gotten into longevity, how people can live to be 100 to 150 easily by making some small changes in their life, and on and on and on. The only question I've got about that longevity thing, and we'll end mm -hmm. it there, is uh, does it require that you don't have fun? In other words, it seems like everything you do that is healthy for you, supposedly, is not fun or it does not taste good. No, that's not true at all. I'm, I'm eating a good diet now, and it tastes great. So and I'm not eating uh, Big Macs, I'll admit that. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll leave that for the next show, and we'll find out how we can be 150. Wayne, thank you, my friend. Well, thank you, Art. I've had a wonderful time. Just really enjoyed it. Looking forward to it again. 73s. See you later, Wayne. Good night, America, from the high desert. See you Sunday on Dreamland, Monday night, Tuesday morning, back with the regular show. Good night. Good night.